In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. gentlemen welcome back to the true life podcast i hope everybody's having a beautiful day i hope that you're aware that you have an inner navigating system and when you learn how to take control of that inner navigating system then you will be rewarded with a tenacity that will allow you to conquer the world in the way that a young woman from Pakistan living in an apartment that seems like it might be apocalyptic comes all the way to the United States, gets an engineering degree, and takes over the NASA Science Center and is here with us today. She's an author, a rocket scientist, an incredible individual, a mother, someone who is passionate about helping people see the best parts of themselves, the most authentic part of themselves. And she's going to share with us some secrets about why she wrote this book and who she is and some of the secrets that she has. So I hope everyone is excited. The links will be in the show notes. You definitely check out her book. But we're going to begin. I'm going to bring her on right here. Shanaz, thank you so much for being here today. How are you? I'm good. And I love your enthusiasm. And I think that this is going to be quite an interesting um, exchange and the conversions between us because uh, excitement um, enhances the excitement. So we will have to see how we do this quantum dance with you and me mm. and how we really um you know basically open the door for people to see the potential that we each exude and we each express and we each contain to live a best life indeed upon opening the door and the light coming in, what do you think is the best way to do that? Is the best way to begin to open that door is to share a story from the past with perhaps how you, I was just watching a short little bio where you talking about this place from where you came and you're like, the, the language you used was so beautiful. You're like, I, the spot, it looks, it looks like it's apocalyptic. However, just like the infrastructure in most countries, so too is the human on the inside amazing. Maybe you can start with a background story. I think that's a great one. It's okay. funny because I'll share this with you because, you know, once I, so of course I'm, I'm from Karachi, Pakistan. I was born and raised there. And while I was in that container, I truly had no idea about the life outside, except that I was still watching Star Trek, even though I did not understand English. 
And But I knew in Star Trek that everybody lives, especially people with the right color uniform. So that much I <laughs> gathered, even without knowing the language. But I was very intrigued about American culture and, and all of that. But the thing is, so then I come to America, right, through arranged marriage and all that good stuff. And then when I go back to Pakistan, and I look at everything from an observer phenomena, right? So mm -hmm. now I'm no longer in it. I'm looking at it from outside. And I was realizing that when I'm walking into my building, like, you know, going to the third floor, and there's so many tobacco spit all over the place. It's so dirty and it's so filthy. There's so many flies in the atmosphere. And I'm thinking that how dirty it is, how hard it is to breathe. And I lived in that culture for 21 years of my life because that was my life. And then, of course, but when you come to the house, you know, like my, you know, where my mom and dad lives, you enter through that door. And then, you know, in the door, it's very clean. It's very nice because my mom is very clean. So you're right. Us, you know, we have, we have all of these hidden doors and we all have these hidden gems. And, you know, I always say that the way I got married, arranged marriage, right? So we gauge the person through how they live how they treat their parents, how they treat their friends. And that to me is the formula we should use whenever you are bringing new people in your life. Because actually that's a great formula. In my case, they did not do any of that because my uh, first husband was living in America. He, he didn't have a dad and his mom wasn't living in Pakistan. So nobody could go into their house and check them. And that's why my story was kind of a little bit more challenging in a way because I talked to him for one hour and I came to... America. And then I realized he had no money to even afford my ticket, uh, let alone my life. And then when I entered in the studio apartment, I realized that there was no space for my clothes. There was no bed. So I basically had a huge shock when I got married and came within a week and entered wow. into a life where I was surrounded by people that I didn't know. I didn't speak the language or the culture. I couldn't connect with my family because I couldn't afford to make a phone call. It cost $1 a minute. The point of the story is all of that and then, so when, when I go to Pakistan and I look at everything, I realize that there is that hidden jam in all of us. And sometimes you have to go through so many layers. And Pakistan is a great representation of a country that's very beautiful from inside, the people's heart, the people's hospitality, their natural resources. But it looks very messed up from outside because of what has happened to infrastructure mm -hmm. and the type of leader who has been running the show. Sometimes the sweetest fruit has the hardest casing, you know, like, a, you know what I mean by that? Like it's protected because it's so wonderful on the inside and like nature has this way of creating a shell around it. <laughs> I think that there's, yeah. And, 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 you know, to some extent, yeah, you, because you need to ripe yourself to that extent. And it could be that the only way you can break all that barrier is you have to be so ripe. You have to be mm. so ripe that once you are ready to break the barrier, there's no stopping. <laughs> Is it, what do you think about the caterpillar and the butterfly metaphor? Is that a similar one? Like once there's no, there's no turning back, right? Whether you're so ripe, you're going to burst or whether you're so ripe for transformation that it's going to happen. Yeah. And you're, you're absolutely right. So to me, you know, we're, we're kind of transforming in every stages of our lives, right? It's, right. A, it's a continuous process. But when we use the word caterpillar and butterfly, it's just to signify the physical form that gets so different. But mm -hmm. the fact that the form that it does end up adopting has more freedom. Yeah. Because it can fly, 
right? So it has more freedom. Not only that, it does look kind of a little bit more pretty to the eyes, right? Because it has all these beautiful colors. Not only that, it, it basically can transform further, except the transformation is a little bit different than caterpillar to butterfly, right? So, so there is that aspect of it. So I think that to me, law of conservation of energy is at play in every aspect of our lives. And when we start adopting that, we're no longer going to be attached to things or to places or to people or to death. Mm. That's a, that is, especially in the Western world, it seems our relationship to death is one of taboo. Like we don't want to talk about it. Like, you know, when we think of palliative care, pa means to like cover up. So like in the whole world of the West, we're desperately trying to cover up the fact that we're dying. Like th that's kind of a big problem, right? When we don't even when we don't even allow ourselves to be comfortable with the fact that we may be dying or even explain what death is. Did you notice the, like, is, was that one of the things you noticed when moving over here was the Western ways of, of dealing with death? Is that different from, from this, from where you, the culture where you were brought up? You know, it's interesting because I kind of, so I have a very different perspective, but I see okay. what, what you're saying, but I'm going to say, yeah. so of course, when I came to America, the one of the biggest thing that I was really taken by was the fact that there was so much diversity here, right? Because in Karachi, I'm only seeing my kind of people, you know, mm -hmm. men and women, they're all the same. Like, you know, we have certain flavor, but when you come to America, especially I was landed in Los Angeles, right? So I'm looking at all this variety. I'd never seen all these different types of people. So to me, that was interesting. The other thing I really liked about American culture was the fact that everybody was very outspoken. Like people did not, and most, like to me, that was very amazing because back home, it's all about like living like a Lady Diana where you are being told what to do. I was always covered up, right? So my face was the only thing was shown. And even then I would get all these letters from the guys and I would get so scared that if anybody sees them giving me letter, that I may just die in the process because, you know, honor killing was still going on. Whoa. So point, yeah, I mean, the, so the point of the story is I'm looking at it from a very different perspective. But the whole death thing is another thing. I have not gone to a lot of funerals, but I was very amazed that in the funeral, everybody looks pretty. They're wearing all these sexy dresses, like black color. Back home, when you're when somebody dies, I mean, you're like supposed to cry. And I was having such a hard time with that because whenever I would go, and there was lots of funeral in Pakistan because people die a lot. And I would go, whenever I would go to any kind of funeral, my mom would give me all the instructions that you're not supposed to laugh or smile or do anything. And I have a, such a hard time with containing myself because the more I was told not to do any of that, the more I would do it. And I would mm -hmm. get in trouble because everybody can see that I'm not behaving myself. I'm not following the trend. And it was very hard for me to follow anyone's instruction on being a good girl, you know, like that. Mm. So, yeah. But I, I see also your point on what you're saying about the whole death thing where people are dying and then you're in a hospital and people are all trying to save you. And even though in the process of saving, they're messing up your body. And it's like not accepting the fact that it's a natural course yeah. of, of uh, being human. Yeah, it's interesting to me to, to think about that. You know, I notice a pattern. It seems to me that throughout your life, you have been put in positions where you had to figure out the best way possible at the closest minute. Do you, has that been like something that's not only been a pattern in your life, but maybe you could speak to how that shaped you, how to think so quickly and maneuver nimbly and, and understand the world around you. Yeah, I feel like I should probably help the escape room people create some really good <laughs> strategy there because yeah. truly, you're, you're absolutely right. Okay, so first first time when I was in a 
consciousness, right? And looking at my human body and recognizing that I'm like trapped, this genie strapped in this body. And I'm like really young girl. And I'm looking at everybody and I was always very petite and very thin. And I'm trying, I'm arguing with my aunts and talking to my mom and trying to understand that why, you know, why we are here, what is the reason, what we are supposed to do. And then my mom would pretty much say that, you know, you, you know, read the Quran. I mean, and but the Quran, you're only supposed to read in Arabic, which means you can't understand the damn thing. So you are kind of like really like everywhere you go, the answer has its own limitations. Right. And I started learning that really fast that none of the adults truly knew the answer. They didn't even have time to ask the questions. And then they started telling me that, why are you wasting your time asking the question? You are only going to be spending your life in the kitchen making food. So just become a really good cook learn how to sew clothes, learn how to bake cakes, just be all the thing. And I actually learned all of that because that was part of my training. But that was like, okay, I can do all that all day long, but I need to do more than that. So I think that when I realized that none of my people were able to answer the questions, then what I did was that I became very studious. So whatever I would study in the school, I would spend all my time and energy on that. And that's why I became a valedictorian because that became my um, escape from all the bullshit that was around me because it felt very limiting and there was no way I could liberate myself. At one point, I don't remember exactly the age, but I think it was kind of like 11 or something where I was on my third floor on the stool thinking of jumping because I really didn't think that I can fit in because I always felt very um, out of place in every aspect of my life. I was born in a very orthodox culture where we had to cry a lot every time when we would go to the mosque and we had to beat our chest. And I was always given instruction that if I don't cry, then it's a problem. So, you know, my mom even, like I was even given a suggestion that look at something for a long time so that your eyes can get filled with tears so you can actually do a good job in showing people that how sad you are. Can you believe that? And I, so I struggled with all of that and I had to be, I was in this mess. I knew that nobody understands me. I couldn't ask, even people when they come from America, I would really like, because I would think that they came from another planet and now I can ask them questions. And I would ask them, Tatu, you know, how is it? And, uh, you know, what, what is, uh, can you please tell me about the black hole? Do you know what's behind, behind the sky? <laughs> and they're looking at me thinking, that, oh God. They're like, you know, just because I came to, went to America doesn't mean I know all the answers because they didn't have the curiosity that I had, right? So basically because of all that struggle, I was even thinking that I should just die. But then I thought about my mom and I said, you know what, my mom will cry and I actually, felt like I don't want to put that type of burden on someone. Mm -hmm. So I said, okay, that's just not going to work. So I stopped. But it's it's kind of like, okay, you, you think about all these strategy. And the only one that I really followed was becoming studious, following, putting all my eggs in the basket of understanding whatever knowledge came to me. I truly deep, deep dive into it. And then when the proposal started coming, and that means that, you know, like the it's an arranged marriage system in my culture, right? So the only way I would have exit my reality was through the arranged marriage. There was okay. no other way for me because if I fall in love, then I'll be killed. So my whole story was that, okay, this is the only option available. So the very first proposal came, the guy was like 15 years older than me. So I didn't want to go for that. The second one was seven years older and he seemed like he was smiling a lot. So I felt like there's a hope there. So then, you know, and it's only one hour you have to decide about your Wow, fate. that's so crazy. Exactly. <laughs> So, th so this is just my first story of how I escaped from that. But I went from one mess to another. As you know, that when I got married to him and then I realized 
that he doesn't have money. He didn't love, he was in love with someone else. Mm. And on top of that, you know, I couldn't, like he brought me to America. So there was no way for me to fly anywhere. So I was from one cage to another. And in this cage, I had to learn to speak English, to learn how to dress right, find a job so I can make money so I can be independent. And I had to do all of that while I was married to this man who was a stranger to me. I, just, I almost need a minute just to take that all in. That is freaking, it is, <laughs> it's, as, it's as inspiring and impressive as it is sad, if that makes sense. Like, it's so crazy, but the craziest part is that you conquered all of it. I think that explains the tenacity with which we've spoken about earlier. What? It seems to me that that, I'll just ask the question, at what point in time, like there has to be a spiritual connection. Like you, you have to be asking why me or what's the bigger plan? There had to be times when you're asking yourself that question of like, really, this is it? You're giving me this right now? You're giving me this? Yeah, like, and you know what? That's interesting because I remember most of the time in my childhood, like I would be, you know, like a, we would be all in a car because my, my dad, uh, finally, when he got the car, we would go out and stuff. But my dad was a kind of an angry man, so it was never that fun to be with him. And the whole time while I'm in a car, I'm always like it was always like my entire life in Pakistan was more like that. I'm there, but I'm looking out the window and wondering what's out there, right? The whole time. And then I'm very sad from inside. And you won't even believe it. Um, you know, the Beetlejuice movie. Have you seen it? Of course. Okay, So yes. when I turned 16... My, I have my book, by the way, it's all in Urdu because, you know, that was my national language. I have all this poetry that I have done in Urdu and they're all extremely dark. It's all about dying and it's mm. all about ugliness of life because that's just the way I felt. Like I felt how messed up this world is because my world was dying to be expressed and it was so held tight under the curtain, right? Like I had yep. to be covered up. I had to be a certain way. I had to follow exactly the type of life that my culture had created for me to live for the rest of my life. Not just for the time while I'm with my parents, but, you know, because I got arranged marriage so I can be with this man for the rest of my life. And I was completely very devout Muslim and I understood the difference between hell and heaven. And from my perspective, if I ever leave my husband, I'm going straight to hell. And the way I was kind of brainwashed or indoctrinated, I truly did not want to go to hell. So I want my goal was to be the best Muslim girl on planet Earth for the rest of my life. That's how I came to America, by the way, because I had no plan on giving up on him or, you know. So if you think about it, it's a pretty huge enslavement that was created uh, around me. And of course, I had bought into it. So I had accepted it. And that's that's pretty much where the story starts, right? That I'm actually pretty much uh, like, I, you know, I use the analogy that you are in a coffin and you are, mm -hmm. you are buried alive. And like, I feel like I'm a, I'm a sweet, uh, what is that? A sleeping uh, beauty, right? Mm -hmm. So you are basically in the coffin, right? And I'm buried alive. The only difference is that when I wake up, there's nobody kissing me and helping me yeah. escape because that's not the way it is. It's actually pretty messed up. The only thing that I say is that maybe I have a lighter and I can burn the coffin because the coffin is made of, ice so i mean you, you see my point like you can change the variable because it's your imagination i mean it's like why not right right so it's my imagination so i open the door but why, when you open the door it's a pretty rough world out there because you were not trained to live in that world because you were trained to be submissive you were trained to be obedient you were trained to follow what was created for you from beginning to end mm -hmm. 
And there was a lot of fear. I had so many fears that it was a very long list of fears that I had to overcome to get where I am today. It's, it's fascinating to me to think about being able to break the condition to see the world anew. And it sounds like, do, do you, is that something? Okay, so if we talk about the quantum being, it sounds to me like this is the beginning of the quantum being right here. Like this is this first stage of quantum coming into being. Like you've broken the mold and now you are beginning to have this relationship with uncertainty, but uncertainty on a profound level in a different country with a new language, with a new culture, everything around you. What is that like now? Like, so you're, you're with this gentleman and you're creating this new life. What is your relationship to uncertainty at this point in time? Right. So it's pretty interesting, the uncertainty. I'll give you an example that pops yeah. in. It's really hilarious, by the way. So I started attending because I knew I had to learn English, right? So I started attending the community college uh, for speaking English. So I, I was attending this English class, and then I have this person next to me. And in the class, the teacher is asking that everybody should introduce themselves and who they are and what they are. And then there is this girl sitting right next to me. And then she introduces herself by saying that I'm lesbian, right? And I'm just barely learning English. And I'm thinking that, what is that word, right? I have no idea what that word is. Right. And then, of course, I come home and I looked up in the dictionary and I learn about the word and understand it. And then finally, when uh, once a month I was able to talk to my mom, I my mom was like, how is life going? And I said, mom, you know, I was sitting next to the lesbian. And my mom was like, <laughs> this is the end of the world, right? Because, I mean, you know, she, because according to Quran, when the lesbian and gay are uh, pretty much obvious to the world, I mean, that's the judgment day, according to Quran. So my mom is thinking, that this is a pretty tragic situation, right? I mean, that my daughter goes all the way to America and then this is what she's experiencing. So it was interesting to experience all of that and to me still say that, no, there's no judgment there because, you know, it's just a different. So I actually, that was the one thing and that is probably the reason I have made this journey this far is mm -hmm. because I never ever accepted other people's opinion about things, places, concepts, as my own, even though I, I respected it, I took their inputs, I considered it, right. but I always well had my own filter and my filter truly has no bound. Like it's so limitless, which is the main reason I created the limitless life for me, because I always looked at people for how they are showing up for me and all the other thing withered away. When you say that's, you look at how people show up for you, is your strategy when you meet people to show up for them the way they show up for you? Well, to some extent, you know, like, okay, so I don't know if you've watched my video on hologram, but we are a hologram, okay? So the thing is that because we're a hologram and we have infinite channels to dial in, when people come in our life, because they're mirroring us, right? So this aspect of, you are an aspect of me and I'm an aspect of you. Okay. And what happens is I'm putting myself now laser focus in your consciousness and you're doing the same with me so when we do that quantum dance what happens is that we're going to exchange and converge and create and open the door for new holographic reality just by virtue of being in each other's presence and then what we say or not say is all part of that quantum dance so to me like i can feel uh, people very fast like uh, like if i'm in a meeting and i'm supposed to go for joining you, let's say for an interview, within five minutes, I'm going to know if I want to even be with you. 
And if I don't, I'm not going to waste your time. I'm actually going to be very tactful and come out of the conversation and wish you all the best because truly that's just the way it works for me because I'm like, let's just be honest. So people actually cannot hide who they are, uh, especially, uh, I, I don't know, maybe I have this power that I bring the bring the people to their authentic level because I'm showing up authentic for them. And, and it's hard for you to hide yourself. And if you are mm. not going to be very... Uh, somebody who wants to be authentic, then you're going to have a problem even staying in my frequency and vibration. Do you think that that, I have this idea sometimes that we're moving through like these different sense ratios. And when you sit with people, and I think a lot, some people can feel this, like you know when someone's hiding something. You may not know exactly what it is, but if you sit with them long enough, you'll get a view of it. Like we're obviously taking in way more information than just words or facial expressions. Oh. Like, well, what's going on there? When you talk about quantum and holographic, yeah. what do we go? What's going on there? So basically there's a lot going on because, you know, like physically is just the tip of the iceberg, right? Which is yes. what we're seeing each other. The rest of the stuff, which is the feeling, right? And feeling, of course, you can hide mm. it. Like, let's say if you have, like right now, let's say if you're hungry or let's say um, if I'm thirsty, you can hide it. So that, because that's more personal. But there are so many other feelings that are perpetuated in the morphogenetic field. So like, like you and I are meeting remotely, right? Through the right. screen and the laptop and a whole bunch of shit. But if you would be meeting uh, in person, that's even more magnification, right? There, yeah. Because in person, when you meet, and that's why I want to create that, by the way. So next year, 2024, and maybe you can help me with that. Because I want yeah, to create a place where we can all show up like and have the most incredible gathering. And then I can share uh, the quantum being wisdom. And we can just soak into each other's energy because when you do that and if you want to create a community that's the best way to open the door because you're going to know if you're going to work with these people or not because your auric field goes really far depending on how much work you've done and what channel you're dialing in at a time the morphogenic field is already there the quantum field is already there all the other different fields you know the electrostatic field the electromagnetic field the gravitational field, all of them encompassing and creating a dance for you to actually experience another crystalline human in your life. So it's a very, very powerful thing. And uh, yeah, there's infinite amount of message being passed between you and me. And the thing is that that is what decides that how we're going to actually meet up next time or, or we're going to meet up next time. Because when you meet a new person, you are already changing your timeline and theirs. And then it opens a new portal. It's fascinating to think that just a mere interaction with someone can fundamentally transform their lives. And when you start talking about changing the timelines of people, can you give me an example of when that happened to you? Like, an, like a cool one, like an important one. But important to you. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, okay, so I'll give a simple example on how I met okay. Perry. And I think I mentioned that there. But it's interesting that, like, you know, there are certain people when you're supposed to meet them. You know, and you think that you're going to meet them, you schedule a time. And then if the time changes, it's partly because you are not supposed to meet. You're supposed to meet them exactly when you're going to meet them, right? But right. the interesting thing with Perry was that when we were supposed to meet, he, uh, he had to reschedule because he had something come up. And then when that happened, between uh, the delay that was introduced, in between that, I ended up running into this woman who had created an art which was all about octopus. And I met her. So I met this woman who is an artist in Huntsville and she basically shows me this art that is all about octopus. And she says, this is in Sarasota, Florida. And when I met her two days after I was actually flying to Sarasota, Florida. Right. So I told her that this is so interesting. And then of course I went and stopped there when I was in Florida, just to kind of make a point and send her a picture too. 
But then after that, I noticed that even my son's car, basically the number that my son's car has is exactly the number, the 398. And then when I came and started talking to Perry, and then he starts talking about, you know, what is octopus? And then he says that, you know, 398. And so the point of the story was that I had to collect all of that gold dust in the process of getting to meet him. Like I already met an artist, Octopus came in my life through that, through her. Mm. And then the very fact that my son car pretty much is, the number is Octopus. And, and all of that converged. So when I met him, it was almost like it was all part of my, you know, my auric field. And I think that because when we met, we already had to take it to the next level. And that was already being pre-planned but when you meet a person and when you feel a strong connection then you change your timeline mainly because you do make a change in your life like in my case when I met Perry I realized that I have to join the octopus movement right so that as soon as I did that if I wouldn't have done that you and I would not have met today Mm -hmm. so you see how all of those steps had to happen for you and I to create this gathering it's like ashes to gold (laughs) exactly and that is the exact so the thing is that what i want to teach people is be aware of what binary input you're putting in your storyline and what experience are you generating as an output because that's pretty much the dance we're doing input output and processing it and we are the processor right so we are we have a pretty big responsibility to make sure that we represent ourselves with our full potential and full light what happens if we don't do that like it, is that where someone gets stuck in like this low frequency and maybe they start seeing themselves in a negative way and then they start attracting that into their life? Or Yeah, because for the most part, that is why I always say, right, that when you, whatever you do, gauge your feelings. Because I actually always wonder that people who are like big celebrity or big, big shot or look beautiful on the screen, how are they really feeling? Like, I want to ask them that question. And if they're feeling shitty and they're pretending to be happy, then who are they lying? They're lying to themselves. Yeah. Right. So that's what I'm saying is that at the end of the day, we all have to at least take responsibility for ourselves, because the reason we have so much chaos in the world is partly because we are not processing ourselves the most graceful way. We're not doing what we needed to do. And what happens when you put your skeleton in the closet is going to come out somewhere else. It's going to show up somewhere else. It's going to create a mess one way or the other. And, And that's why I want everybody to clean their own mess. And then they can help clean everybody else's mess. Yeah, it seems that a lot of people in positions of authority, and I think we confuse authority with power a lot, but it seems like a lot of the times people that have a lot of power have a big mess that they haven't cleaned up, but they want to help everyone clean up their mess. You know, like, wait a minute, what's this over here, guys? Maybe you should fix that before you're telling me what to do. Exactly. And the thing is that if you really think of the fractal um, existence, everything kind of builds on top of each other, right? So it's like, so when you do one thing, it affects everything and it keeps creating that cascading Mm -hmm. effect, right? Just like you put a pebble in the water, right? And creates the ripple effect. That's how every aspect of our action affects. So when you start really understanding that how you're affecting yourself and others and creating a ripple effect and hundred monkey effect with a, then you become more conscious about what you're doing, at least. And then that's how we can bring the heaven on earth. Because we all have to become very aware of the step we're taking. Why are we taking it? And what vision do we have in mind? Because, you know, I have run into so many people that when I ask them that if you have like a one day to live, you know, what would you do? They're like, oh, I don't know. 
uh, I don't have no idea when did you live? I, I mean, I, and I'm like, it's so sad, right? That we truly don't look at life that we have one day to live because, you know, that's comes from Islamic teaching. So we were taught that every time when you sleep, you pretty much die because you're half dead. And then when you wake up, you should say thank you. Right. Right. Every day you get a chance to die and every morning you get a chance to be reborn. And I wish people, I think it comes down to conditioning, you know, so for so long, so many people have been conditioned to maybe not be the best versions of themselves. Like sometimes creativity, I think is, is conditioned out of people. It's like, why don't you grow up and be this obedient person that can get a job for 30 years. And then maybe, maybe one day when you're 70, you can start living. Like it's and that's very true. Opposite. Yeah. That's, that's very true. And if you think about it, like in my case, I was conditioned, creativity is completely conditioned out. Yes. And then I come here and the good, and the thing is that because when I came here and I realized that I'm really completely codependent because I have no money. I don't speak the language. I'm like really, really screwed. I got to get my shit together. Right. So I'm working hard to get myself in it. And then I get myself an admission in one of the schools, which was the hardest thing to do, by the way. And it had to do with the fact so basically, I knew that I had to continue my education so that I can be more useful to society because I was doing minimum wage jobs and minimum wage jobs does not help you to become independent. Right. And, and on top of that, I didn't mention it, but uh, not only that my first husband didn't have any money to afford me, he actually had a huge debt to pay. So for me, my biggest goal was to make money and pay off the debt so we can live interest-free life. You know, So I had all these goals in my head. So when I go for admission to UC Irvine, right? And when I go to the admission, apparently there was a huge story there where my mark sheet had one of the class, logic design system technology, which showed up fail. And there's a reason for that too. So of course they were not giving me admission because they thought that I am not gonna be able to handle the coursework there. So I was denied admission from all three places I applied in LA. And just imagine that that it's just one story that shows the spirit that I have because I have had many challenges in my yeah. life, but I'm just sharing that to kind of give you a perspective that how I solve my problem, because right. that's pretty much multiplies in all the things I've done in my life. And that's the reason you are talking to me about my accomplishments. So let's go with the story, yeah. right? So basically I get denied, right? Now I'm thinking, what am I going to do, right? Because I'm denied, which means I can't become an engineer. So out of the three schools that I got denied with, there was only one school that I would have loved to go to. It was one of the best schools. So, of course, you know, I said, okay, which school would I, if, 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 because I always ask myself this question, if sky has no limit, what would I want to happen? I said, I would love to get admission in this school, right? So now I'm thinking, how am I going to get admission? They already denied it, right? So then I said, okay, who is the most powerful person in the school who has a power to give me the admission back again? And, you know, it was the chancellor. Um, um, her name was Laurel Viking or something like that. Anyway, so I looked up her name and just imagine that I'm not speaking good English also, right? Because this is the beginning part of my life. So, and I'm still trying to do something that's impossible from every aspect and nobody's helping me. It's just me, myself and I. <laughs> so then, <laughs> so then I said that, so then I created a meeting with her and then I go and meet her, right? And, and, uh, and of course, just by the way I, I looked like, I was like a really petite girl. I was a 90 pound girl when I came to America. And, um, you know, I spoke broken English. I was wearing clothes that were like half, you know, I mean, like it was obvious that I'm not from here. And then I told her that, you know, I said that I, I, I need this admission because it's important for me to be able to survive in America. And then she said that, why, why would I give you an admission when you have a fail on your mark sheet? And I said, that's why I'm here is to explain you why I got the fail on the mark sheet. 
And then she said, okay, I'm all ears. <laughs> so then I told her that basically what happened was, so so we have an annual system back home, okay? So it's not like that you get all these intermediate quizzes and all this good stuff where you get to have many opportunities to pass something, right? So it's a one-stop shop. You go to school for one year, and then towards the end of the year, you have exams for one month for all of your courses. And then whether you pass or fail, that's your destiny. Logic design system technology class was one of the class where I actually, first of all, I got married in the middle of all this, right? So I'm in my one year admission in Karachi. And in the middle of it, I get arranged marriage and I come back to America. Now, the only good thing was that my husband knew that me becoming an engineer is very important for his livelihood. So he wanted me to go back to take the exam because it would help me not have to go to school because school is very expensive, right? So this would give me uh, some of my one year work as a credit. And then that way I can take less classes and become an engineer. You see the strategy there? Yeah. Totally. So, so because of that, I go back to take an exam. And when I go back there, the logic design system class, when the exam time comes, what happens is that one of the rich boy was sick that day and he belonged to a union. So they knew that because he's sick, he's going to get the fail in his mark sheet. So what they did was used all their power to completely boycott the exams so nobody could take it. So while I'm just flying from America to take these exams and I'm determined to take the exams, I go to the school and everybody's at gunpoint taking their exams away. I'm still not giving up and I'm sitting in a room alone with this paper and I'm working on it. Just think about the spirit that I have, right? And of course, a boy comes with a big giant flesh and golf and he says, that why are you still here? You're not supposed to take the exam. The exam is boycotted. And I said, well, I said that I flew from America all the way to here to take the exams. I'm not going to be able to come back again when the exam gets issued. And I have to take this exam. And I started explaining that. And then he put the gun on my temple. And pretty much at that point, I knew that I have to let this go. So then I actually... I actually cried. I mean, I really, the tears started coming out of my eyes and it was all on the paper. And the irony is you use the ink, which is one of those ink that can get spread out. So my, my already I'm seeing the, you know, like, like something that was so important to me is being messed up right in front of my eyes. And I have no power, right? I have no power. And you just have no idea how powerless I felt, right? But think about the spirit that I have. I still did not give up. So basically after he, did that he took my paper he tore it apart to make sure there's no way i can take this paper and then i pretty much picked up my bag and rather than walking out to get a bus to come home i go to the principal office in uh this is nad university in karachi i'm talking about and i go there and there's a man sitting there looking all happy and i go there and i walk in there and i say that uh, sir, um, I, I need your help. I uh, flew all the way from America to here to take this exam. Today is the exam scheduled date. And all the rangers are not letting me take, I mean, it was not rangers, it was more like a union people. Mm -hmm. They're not letting me take the exam. And I'm looking to see if there's any place in this university where I'm safe enough to take the exam. And this guy is looking at me thinking that I have like two horns or something, or maybe I came from a whole different planet because the tenacity and the fact that I'm talking to him, I'm a woman, mm -hmm. even though I was still covered up, you know, but still I'm a woman and I'm talking to him and he's looking at me and thinking, holy shit. He said, which, he said, which union do you belong to? Like, what is, who, who represents you? And I said, uh, I don't belong to any union. I belong to me. 
And he said, well, that doesn't work here. You have to be belonging to some union for me to even listen to you. Was the chancellor's face with whom you were speaking like mine, like just like in shock when you're telling her this story? Like, yeah, <laughs> exactly. And she basically said that I can't believe that this is happening on planet Earth right now. And, and I said, yeah, because, you know, if you really think about it, all these different countries have different um, timeline running. They all have different cultures. They all have different type of dictatorship. And I do come from a country where it's very, very different than here. Uh, and, and yeah, and, and it was interesting. She was completely taken by the whole story. And even then, you know, she gave me an admission on contingency because she said, you have to keep your GPA higher than 3.0. And I'm going to be watching you for like, you know, two semester to see if you can survive here. Right. And I took all her condition. I said, I, I said, I accept all of your conditions and you'll know that I'll do really good. And I, I was a graduate magna cum laude from there. Congratulations. <laughs> awesome. That is a wonderful story. I think everybody should hear that story. Yeah. And that's how I got my engineering. And you see the engineering degree was the door for the freedom for me. And if I wouldn't have done what I did, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be at NASA. I wouldn't be a rocket scientist. So what I'm saying is that every step matters. And the, but the thing is, your fire is the is is what creates that opportunity for you. And and obstacle comes your way. Like like for me, I have got plenty of obstacle. And I think because of that, I've become so strong. And that's why I want to teach people that there is no obstacle as as big as you think it is, because you are the only one making the obstacle bigger than it is. The obstacle is the way. Yeah. And through the obstacle is the way, because when you actually overcome the obstacle and just like you guys were talking, right? You and Iwan were talking that every level, there's a devil at every level. Yeah. Yes. And that to me is how we are evolve. That's to me is how we, because you know, when I actually convinced her, now I had to prove her, right? So it wasn't that easy mm -hmm. by any means. Now mm -hmm. I'm like, in, like, I'm like thinking I'm learning English, right? Already, which is hard. Then I'm learning engineering at the very prestigious school, which is hard. On top of that, it's taught by Chinese professor who has accent of their own. You can ask for more excitement than that in my <laughs> life. This brings up a very fascinating point about language. Through all of these stories so far, it seems that you are beginning to speak or better. It seems to me that life is not only speaking to you, but you're beginning to understand the language of the planet. Like it's speaking to you. And you're <laughs> beginning this dance with the planet. Like, hey, the obstacle is the way. Hey, this this part that I thought was freaking impossible was actually the corridor with which I had to walk through this dark night of the soul over here. Can you help people understand the way in which the world speaks to us? That is true. Mm -hmm. Because you know what? Basically the language is very simple. You have to listen to your heartbeat. You have to listen to yourself. You have to truly honor the inner dialogue that you have, good, bad, ugly, because the entire universe is contained within you and you are representing your universe through projection of experiences, right? Yeah. Because your experiences is a projection of your consciousness. And that's, that's what I always say. And when you start understanding that, then you know that you are the source of all of it. And with that type of self-responsibility, you can actually do a way better job in creating a better reality for you. Because until then, you're gonna keep on looking for excuses outside of you.
In a recent conversation, I think you had with Anja, you were speaking about the plant, and I want to speak to this. Can I can I tell you? Can I share a quick story with you about something that yes. I learned by sitting outside? So I was sitting outside a while back, and I noticed that there is this vine, and it's climbing up. It's climbing up this tree, and I'm watching it, and I was in a total different state of consciousness. And I was just watching and just mesmerized. It was a beautiful day outside and the sun was shining. And I was thinking to myself, how does that vine know to climb up this tree? And at that particular, at four and four and a half feet, it decides to begin to unfurl this magnanimous, beautiful flower with all these colors. And it knows to drop it at a 43 degree angle at 2.27 PM. Like, how does it know that? Like, and it opens up perfect to the sun. And then I was like, how did I know how to walk away from this job at 100,000? How did I know to meet this person over here? How did I know to tell my daughter this thing? And it, the, the, the fractal nature of it just hit me like a ton of bricks. And I'm like, nature is explaining to you the way your life unfolds. And you can see your life unfold in a flower. You can see the ecosystem of, a, of, of the... Of, the aphids eating the leaf the same way these little things are eating you up, you know, in your life and you're letting them eat you up and you got to get out of there. Like, but you can see the world unfold around you in nature. Like sometimes a battered coastline is a wonderful teacher or a waterfall. If you just sit and listen to it, can talk to you in ways that other people can't. Like maybe you could speak to, maybe help flesh out that idea of nature is all around us speaking to us and trying to give us the answer if we're willing to listen. Exactly. And I'll sum up your story with this statement here. Consciousness chooses moment to moment what it deems necessary. Can you say that again? Consciousness chooses moments to moments what it deems necessary. So that's how you create the sacred geometry of the flower of life. If you think about it, right? So that's the thing, right? So there is that, there is that occurring. and But it requires you to truly, truly be very authentic, truly honor yourself, mm. truly follow that and really know what is distraction and what is not, right? And that is the thing. And when you actually do that, the thing is the whole world works with you because I'll tell you one story, okay? So, okay. Yeah. so here is the story where I'm in LA, I'm new, I'm learning to drive, okay? Because I, I'm learning to drive, I'm learning to speak English. The first three months was the hardest for me. I mean, the whole year I cried every night, but the first three months were hardest because I had to learn to drive and it was very hard to drive in LA because it's so traffic and, and it's so overwhelming and none of, and majority of the women never drive in Karachi. So it was not in my DNA. So it was a new thing I'm learning, but there was one point what happened was, so I'm learning to drive new I, and I got my license and I actually end up going and there was no cell phone at the time and I didn't have the map either. And I end up getting lost in Balboa Beach in, in, in Orange County, okay? Mm. Now, the thing is, so I have no phone. I'm really scared. I'm really young girl. I don't speak the good English. I have no idea how I'm going to get back home. I was two hours away from home. And I actually am in my car and I'm just crying because I'm feeling like this is the end of me because I'm, I have no idea what I'm going to do. And so I cry because I always cry. Like for me, that's, I had to release my challenges, right? So crying, yeah. it just helps. And then I asked God that why you did all that to me. So I talked to him yeah. as well, which is yeah. good because it helps me to just get it all out, yep. right? I mean, nobody's listening, but somebody is. <laughs> and then what happens is then I think that what should I do to become more visible? Because I'm, but then I'm scared because I'm thinking if I get more visible, somebody will come and kidnap me or somebody will do some mean things to me because I come from Karachi where a girl alone is asking for disaster. Mm. So 
But then I had to get the courage and I get out of the car and I look around and then I see this boy, like a, like a small boy and kind of from a distance. And I can see he's looking at me with amusement, thinking that she looks like she's in trouble. Mm -hmm. So then I, I, I feel good because it's a young boy, right? So I'm like, he can't harm me much. Yeah. So I go to him and he's a Spanish boy, but he knew how to speak English. So I said that I'm lost and I just need a phone uh, because I, I was thinking that if I can call my husband, then mm -hmm. that he will come and save me, right? Because yeah. I was still in that mindset that he's that type of husband, but he's not. And you're going to learn that when you see the, hear my story. Anyway, so then, <laughs> so then what happens? So I said that, can I get a phone? And then he's like, uh, he's like, yeah, yeah, come with me, right? So then I go, I walk with him and I go to this really kind of weird place. And I basically go to, to his apartment where he lives and his mom and dad, and they're all looking at me like, who is this girl? And none of them spoke English except the boy. And so the boy tells them, right, that she wants to make a phone call. And then they look at me and they can see that, okay, you know, she looks like safe. So they give me their phone, the landline phone. And of course, I knew my husband's number. So I call him and he says that figured out. What? Because in his mind, if you can't figure it out, then it's on you. So, I mean, in a way he was training me, but it really broke my heart when he said figure it out because now I knew that I have no way to get any help. So then, then I turned the phone off and then I'm thinking, what can I do? What can I do? So then I look at the boy and I said, do you have a map? Do you have anything that can help me? Uh, because I knew my home address and I was trying to figure out where I am. And then basically I had to do all of that. And then I had to figure out what freeway can I take or how can I go? And then I used the boy to figure out how can I get back on the road? And he became my translator. And ultimately I was able to make home and it took me a while to get home. And it was a very hard journey for me and it taught me a lot of lessons. But I guess what I'm saying is that in all of these stories, right? If you really think about it, when I wanted to pretty much finish this life, I did not finish it. Then I did so many different things. It's almost like, you know, when you are like it's like a surrender, right? I mean, I had to surrender. Yeah. So when I was in the car and crying and wondering and talking to God, it was all surrender. It was part of surrender and acceptance that, yes, I feel like I'm in a shithole. I feel like it's, it's, it's a bad situation, right? I mean, yeah. like accept it. And, and, and that's all part of my teaching. So I'm sharing you some nuggets yeah. here. Is that it's good to accept if you are buried alive in a glass coffin or whatever, whatever the coffin is, accept it. First accept it that, okay, this is it. And as long as you're breathing, you're going to be fighting. What do, you, <laughs> what do you think is the relationship between surrender and sacrifice? Oh, I personally think there's no relationship at all in that sense. Because, <laughs> <laughs> okay, because of the word. I mean, look at the word. I don't know who came okay. up with it. Okay, so sacrifice to me, it's kind of like, like, you know, surrender is a positive word from my perspective and sacrifice is actually not. So like, you know, when, I mean, I guess I can see the point. Okay. So when Hazrat Ibrahim, okay, we're going to go into Bible story now. Yeah, so, please. Right? When Hazrat Ibrahim was asked to kind of, you know, sacrifice one of his precious son, you know, for the sake of God and all that. And of course you use the word sacrifice because truly he's sacrificing another human life. And when you really look at it from every standpoint, there's no human who have any kind of autonomy or power on any other human, even if you are a father to that person. So to me, that story kind of a little bit messes me up because 
even if there is a God, the God should not ask for that. But secondly, you know, you don't do that to your own child because your child is not your property. Your child is another human being and you don't get to decide whether they live or die uh, for whatever the reasons are. So it, it gets into pretty messy stuff. But the point was, that's the word sacrifice that we use. And, and to me, surrender means that you accept your weakness and your strength and your current circumstances for what they seem to be. What would be the usage of sacrifice? Can you use that in a sentence other than Hazrat Ibrahim? <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Like sometimes you have to sacrifice what is you think is right. And mm, I don't want to say that. Sometimes we must sacrifice who we are for who we want to be. Yeah, I don't call it a sacrifice at all. I call it a law of conservation of energy. You're <laughs> going from one form to another. It's okay. part of the storyline. It's like when you die, then yeah, you die, which means you're no longer going to live in this body. So okay. that to me is not a sacrifice. It's more like a transformation, right? So it's kind of interesting. I think we'll have to think about it because now you just got me thinking that what Good. is the right word for sacrifice? And maybe it's kind of a cop out or maybe it's a, somebody yeah. came up with that word because they think that they're sacrificing because you know, at the end of the day, you know, when people say, I love you, for example, right? I'll give you yeah. this. Okay. The truly, you're saying it because you love them. But if you're saying them because you want to, them to say, I love you too, then that's not a good reason to say, I love you, right? <laughs> you see my point? So, yeah, I do. Because it's all, we're all one. See, so we're all one. So this whole mentality of, I, I, I'm having a hard time with the word sacrifice right now in English. They need to cross that out. Mm. If you if you come up with a good reason for the word sacrifice, please let me know in this talk. Because right yeah. now I'm wondering that because it's almost like you know, like people have entitlement, right? People who think that, oh, you know, I deserve it, I should have it. That is how sacrifice is coming to me right now, and mm -hmm. I'm not liking it because everything is exactly where it needs to be based on the flow of electron and photon, because we are choreographing all of this in our lives. And when we start understanding the cause and effect, the causality, and how everything comes into existence from energy into matter, then we will no longer be using all these scapegoat words. Mm. Yeah. It's like folk psychology, kind of. Like, we don't thoroughly understand what these words mean. It's like, it's magic. Might as well just call it magic, because we don't understand. I love this person. What does that mean? You know, like we can have all these words that try to explain it, but we don't thoroughly understand what it means. It's beautiful and it's wonderful. And it's this feeling of awe. And I mean, it's awful in the true sense of the word, this thing called love. And we can write poetry about it. But what does it mean? We don't know what it means. And I think we bump up against this ineffability sometimes, especially in altered states of consciousness where you have this idea, but you can't bring it back for the tribe. And you struggle and you, you try to find a linguistic pathway so you can drag this thing back. But... It's difficult. And you know, here's yeah. here's an here's an interesting thing that, that I want to get your opinion on. It's it's this um this idea of the change. Like it seems to me that if we look at the English language right now, like you see nouns becoming verbs, and we're starting to see nouns become verbs. Like, do you think the world is shifting where we're seeing ourselves as a process versus a noun? And I don't know if that kind of makes sense, but you know, if, if I think of Shanaz as not a person, place, or a thing, but a process. 
I think that's such a more magnificent way to see people and things as a process instead of a, instead of a noun. I, I see that, that is, transition happening. Do you see that? That is exactly why I named my book The Quantum Being. So you hit it on the nail because the, the being pretty much, because you know, it's interesting because the name was quantum human first okay, and then somebody else took the name. So I had to change it. But then I was so happy I changed it because the quantum being has that resonance about it. Like you're talking about the process, yeah. Yeah. the quantum, quantum human kind of parks you. It's almost it like, does. you know, it's like living in a house or renting a house, right? So when you live in a house now, now you're like parked for the rest of your life. No, but that's why my son, for example, he's, he never wants to live in a house. So he keeps renting different places because he thinks that I don't want to be, I don't want to be parked in one place in space and time because then that is too limiting. Mm -hmm. And so I completely agree with you because we're all kind of a moving and I actually say we're moving electrons and photons because that's what we are. And of course, just like earth is moving, everything is moving. If you really look at it, every single thing is moving. And because of this quantum dance that we do, and because of the way we process information, just like the pixelated television, right? How we see everything as one cohesive film, right? But it's lots of pixels oriented in a certain way to broadcast the information to you. And then your eyes, the way it works and the way your brain works is the only reason television became a source of entertainment. What was one of the, when you changed the name from quantum human to quantum being, well, did you feel like the momentum of the book had changed or did you already, did you already write the book before that had happened or? Yeah, the book was was already, the book was was already already done. done. Okay. The book was already done. And it was interesting because I wanted to make a point that how the quantum which is basically an incremental amount, right? That's pretty much what quanta. Quanta is a very small, tiny amount of light or energy, whatever it is. Quanta is a Greek word, right? It just basically expresses that incremental amount. Uh, It's that gold dust that I'm talking about, right? That opens the door for new trajectory. So that to me was very important that we start accepting the fact that who we truly are at the subatomic level. I mean, the very fact that we found this discovery more than 150 years ago or something. And we are not even teaching that in a school, which is the main reason we are in this limited earth place. Mm. Because I believe if everybody starts recognizing the magnificence and the resonance that we carry with every action that we do in our daily life, then we can all show up that best way. And then we can change because earth and us, it's just we are mirroring each other. And and I want to say this because it's very important. And even though it looks like a little bit off the wall, but everything is connected, right? So let's say that when you are dealing with your health issue, your microbiome, which is your foundation, by the way, that actually, if you can make your microbiome healthy, you can make the earth healthy because everything is mirroring each other. And I'll give you this example, and this is really interesting, by the way. So uh, so International Space Station, when the Russian astronauts were visiting, they actually found that their microbiome, by the way, had the similar signature as the exterior structure of the International Space Station had. Like they were mirroring each other already. And they actually found that and they were willing to tell that to the public and they were being told not to. And I found about it uh, through some um, other means. And it just basically reassured my understanding of how as above so below is being mirrored in every aspect of our existence. 
I think in chapter 11 of your book, you speak about a paper that was declassified where they talk about something similar to this. Can you share that with us? Yeah, it's called the Gateway Experience. And when you type it on a Google, you can find the 30-page paper. And I love that paper because I pretty much like gobbled it out because I love those type of things. Uh, yeah, uh, so so if you ever ask me what my passion is, my passion is to connect the dot because I love it. I love researching. I love connecting the dot. I love understanding every aspect of our existence so so that way we can see the simple si simplicity and the beauty of everything. Mm. So the, the Gateway Experience basically proves it that how imagination does affect our manifestation. And the, and the way they do that is basically they explain that how our, like how our brain has all these, you know, hippocampus and mm -hmm. thalamus and, um, and the way it, um, it's almost like what happens is that we have a, you know, we have a right hemisphere and the left hemisphere and our, Right hemisphere is what kind of does a good job with visualization. Yep. And our left hemisphere, which kind of does all the binary processing, kind of what it does, it breaks it down for us. So what happens is that when you see a vision that you would, you know, I mean, and we are doing it all the time, by the way, whether we do it consciously or not, right? So when you see a vision of any sort, like if you want to eat an apple and you think of an apple, right? You see a vision of an apple. Then what happens is, that it actually opens the door for you to bring the apple in your reality. And, and, and there are exercises like that because there are so many people who are writing books and sharing it to the world by saying that, okay, do this, you know? And yeah, because it works because that's how we are designed. Like, it's interesting because like for me, like I, because I already see the connection. So I notice a lot of these information coming through. So that is the thing that like, but you can take it to a further level. So the, what they did was that they were basically explaining that how we are, we are a hologram and the way we process information is holographic. So what happens is when we see an image in our brain that we think about, what happens is that because we are, we have this inner uh, built-in holographic features, um, our microtubules, which is kind of um, according to um, Penrose and Dr. Stuart Hameroff, According to the two of them, they have been studying the, the consciousness for 30 years um, in Europe and Oxford. They basically say that microtubule is kind of where that trigger happens, that light happens, that mm -hmm. that light that actually ends up converting the 2D hologram into 3D for us in our real life. So we become the conduit, like we become the creator of what we want to create. And, and, and the fact that they actually wrote that paper in 1980, some, some time, and then they declassified the paper in 2017 or something. And I stumbled on it in 2020 or 2021. It was right around the time when I was doing my book. So that was last year. Wow, yeah. So the point of the story is that that information has been uh, available to people who have been you know, running the show for right. Planet Earth. And there are many informations like that that has been available to these people, which is the reason they have been able to kind of control us because they already know how we work. Like when you watch a television and if you watch a monster in the television, then what you're doing is you're almost bringing that monster into real life if yeah. you keep on watching that. So television is a pretty good way for them to say, keep watching it because you can make that real and we will keep you in this loop of Hunger Game. Yeah.
So, so that paper to me is a great paper. And I would love to, because I have, I have a lot of information on it, technical yeah. information. I'm just giving you a very small tip of the iceberg. But if you really want to unpack that, we, we can definitely do that because I actually teach a class on that paper where I explain how step-by-step step, your imagination creates your experiences. And that to me is the key for manifestation. Yeah. Can we, can you give me, can you break that down for me in the audience? Like I, I'm a huge fan. Like, first off, why, maybe we could take a step back. Why do you think that that was classified for so long? Oh, for a very good reason, because just imagine, <laughs> imagine, okay. Imagine the word okay. imagine already has a magic in it. Right. Imagine. Yeah. Yeah. So the thing is that if everybody knows that they are that powerful, I mean, nobody's going to listen to Pope or God or anybody, any intermediate people that's right. on earth. I mean, nobody right. would do that, right? Because if, if I tell you that, you know, you can pretty much, uh, I can teach you how to fish and you can take as many fish and you right. can be well-fed for the rest of your life. You're not going to work for anybody if you can get your own fish and feed yourself because you're like, well, I'm just going to have my own life now. I'm going to have so much fun. Right. They didn't want to take that control away because, you know, it's easy to control people by keeping them ignorant. I mean, right. I actually learned that in the 1800 and even before that, right? People used to kill people if they would find books in their houses because they knew that if you are gonna find, if you have any knowledge other than where you are, then that's gonna give you the keys to the kingdom mm -hmm. and that will make you very powerful. And, and that won't work for somebody who has a whole different agenda because the kingdom of spirit is embodied in our flesh. That's yeah. the Kabbalistic principle. Hmm. Based on that principle, you are the walking and talking God yourself because God is expressed through you. Right. So, and this paper basically completely explains that how incredible our mind is, how incredible our light is, how we transform energy into matter. So, yeah. And see if I can find a slide that I can yeah, share to just please. give me a little. Yeah, please. Up there because I may be able to. Sure. I, yeah, that would be awesome. Yes. Let's see. And if I share. Yeah, I think I have a slide that I can be able to share. So let's do that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to present here and share the screen. Okay. And let's see. So. Entire screen. Okay, so I said entire screen, and now what do I need to do to share? Hmm. So I selected it, and why is it not letting me just say, yeah. go further? Let's go. That's so weird. Choose what to share. So I said that, okay. and when I share it, how come it's not showing the share button? Maybe the okay. present down at the bottom down there? No? It's weird because I'm able to actually pick up the screen and everything, but then when I pick it up, it doesn't give me like a button to say share. And I'm trying to understand why is it not doing that? It should. So I wonder if I can show you. Okay, okay. how about this? Yeah, you um, try to share something because you'll know if there, there has to be a button there because okay. it's not showing me. I say entire screen and then. Oh. Okay, says so got it. Yeah, why is it? 
Okay, are you able to see anything? I can't. Oh, yes, hang on. There we go. Now it came up. Oh, it does right. come up? Yeah, there we go. Okay, so it's actually sharing the the screen that I'm on, which is fine. Are you able to see a slideshow? I am, yes. Oh, perfect. Okay, so let's see if I can do this. I need to do display settings. Yeah, the limbic system, epic. Um, swap presenter view and slideshow. Okay, now you can see it right uh, in a slideshow format. Yep, can. Okay, so this is just, um, this is actually part of my book. So uh, quantum being is a conduit to a holographic universe. So the way it works is, so we have right hemisphere, which is nonlinear, left right. hemisphere is linear and logical. So the right hemisphere is where the receptor receives and feels the desired result with emotion. So the thing is that that's why in order for us to bring anything to life, we have to embody it, right? That's why like you think about it through your left hemisphere, but you visualize it, that visualization actually comes with the imagination plus projection. And that's where your right and left is being synchronized because you're visualizing it from your right hemisphere. But there's that synchronization that occurs that is where rubber meets the road. And that's uh, and you, you can see our hippocampus, right? It visualizes the des desired result. And then we have this thing going on. So our logical mind is doing the computation like a binary computing system. And that's where like a matter resides because it's a potential energy. It's the energy that basically has all the potential, but it hasn't been manifested yet. And when the right hemisphere basically, which is where your feeling comes in, which is where all the other multidimensional aspect and nonlinear aspect comes in. When it merges with the right and left together, what happens is that that's where the, you know, like it's almost like a firework happens and it gives birth to new possibilities. Like, so, so basically it's saying that we are comparing all this data and of course the memory comes in and this is way more complex than this, but this right. picture just gives you a little tiny bit of idea of how holographic universe interplays the role in making something real for you. Like thought becomes things through this methodology. You know, I'm reminded of Ian McGilchrist's work where he talks about the master and his emissary. It's, it's a fascinating read and he talks about the left hemisphere being this analytical scalpel with which we take the world around us and cut it up into bits. And then the right hemisphere we use is this way in which we see the overall picture. And I can't help but when I'm looking at this, you know, the model of the, the hologram that you're putting forth here, it seems like that's projected onto the world right now. It seems to me to be the reason why people in positions of authority are constantly trying to divide us because they don't want the two hemispheres to be together because that's when the magic happened right there. Does that, does that seem plausible to you? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> very much. And because, I mean, you, you know, think about it, right? I mean, there's like all these great slides because I, yeah. this is my work. I'm very, so this is, this gives you a nutshell of what uh, the quantum being book is all about. So why yeah. let's go that? through them. Let's check them out. Swap. That's a beautiful picture, by the way. Yeah, that's the, that's the cover page, right? Of the book. And, and even the cover page was very interesting of the book because I picked up the cover page 
And then I noticed somebody else used it. I think it was uh, Deepak Chopra used the cover page that I was planning on using it. And I said, I'm not going to use that because he's way more famous than I am. So I figured out this one and thankfully nobody used it. So it worked out. But if you really look at this, this is pretty much the ultimate. This, this is the um, holy grail of my message, okay? As a quantum being that we are, you know, I'm an, I'm an engineer, right? So I'm putting it in a very simple way that we have inputs, we have outputs, and we have all these drivers that are working as an operating system and creating this season finale for us in every action we take. Mm -hmm. So when we start understanding this dance that we do and create and play, in, then we can become more, um, what do you say the word? Like more of the quantum being, like more of a bird flying in the sky, right? Because mm. that is the idea. Like we're not trying to control, or we're not wanting to be controlled, but we have to be in resonance. Mm. And you see our output is pretty much our experiences, the reality that we create moment to moment, mm -hmm. the projection that we see, the way, I mean, you know, if you really look at it from a very, very engineering mindset, then it's a waveform that we, it's all waveform. Everything is a waveform. So yeah, this, this gives you a little preview. And as I said that I have um, this picture, I don't have in my book. I have the, this picture in my book because I kind of keep on doing uh, evolutionary work because it's so exciting to me. And yeah. what I want to do is I want to share all this knowledge in a format where we can actually perform experiments, right? Where people can show up and do these things like, um, you know, like Joe Dispenza is doing it, right? So, but but I have my own style. I've never been to him, but I have heard people say that what I do versus what he does is very similar. It's just, I come from a very different place than he does, so. What, as an engineer, do you find, do you find it odd that, for so long, we've used these mechanistic metaphors to describe the natural world. You, you're saying, do I find it odd? Yeah, don't you think it's odd that we have decided to to use all these the machinery of life? And it seems that it seems to me that we use a lot of mechanistic m metaphors to explain the human idea of life like that just seems odd to me like why, why are we talking about machines when we're not machines and doesn't that kind of give us the wrong direction to go down well the problem is we've been distracted right and the problem is we are like it's almost like you know like a wizard of the oz right <laughs> yeah dorothy right it was dorothy right so the yeah. whole thing is that it's almost like because you know when you are when you have been bought into a narrative that's just so different than what you truly are then when people say that, no, you, you have the power, you have the red shoes you're wearing, you can go home, you can go home. You're like, no, 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 that's impossible. How can I go home, right? So the point is that we have been kind of living in an illusory world for a very, very long time. And not only that, it's getting more and more exciting because, yeah. the, you know, I mean, because that has its own life now, right? And the whole artificial intelligence being in the play. And my whole thing is that because we have come so far away from our human gifts that we have kind of gotten a little bit lost and distracted if we really understand that how powerful we are that we can make something that is pure illusion feel real i mean that's how powerful we are so the reason 
we have been controlled is because we are so powerful. You see? So there is that dichotomy. And when you start unfurling that dichotomy, that is the reason somebody had to spend so much energy and they had to create so much facade and so many things like television, AI, so many things just so that you can be distracted. That actually says that you are that powerful, that they have to be really scared of your power. So the thing is that if just imagine that let's say you and I get together and then Perry gets together and then Anya gets together and then we keep on multiplying it. And we basically say, we are gonna hold truth to our human existence, right? As soon as we do that, and then we keep multiplying and keep making the sacred geometry, what happens is that it's gonna be very hard for anybody to encage us. And I'll give you another example of yeah. Finding Nemo. Did you watch that movie? Of course. Okay, so remember, remember when they get all trapped in that wired net? Mm-hmm. And then the Finding Nemo tells his dad that, dad, dad, we need to help them. What should we do? What should we do? And then the dad tells them, swim down, mm-hmm. swim down. And then, and so all of them swims down, right? What I want to do is, unless somebody else wants to take that role, I have no problem. I don't mind saying swim down. Because when you put the laser focus on something that everybody w- listens to, because that's a, that's a sign of a good leader, is that you actually help free the people right so he yes. basically his words swim down was the key word and the key depiction of a leadership and the thing is that all of those fishes pretty much they were already trapped they they didn't know what else to do they they listened to him because it was a better solution than anything else they could think of and when they all swim down they free themselves and we can all do that it's fascinating to me to think that the way we free ourselves is to move together. Oh, you know, 100%. <laughs> I mean, think about it. Like, right. because, because an ant can't do shit for the elephant, That's right. right? That's right. The ant has to be all together and then they can take the elephant down. That is a great example for us to remember that ant doesn't even have a brain the size of a brain we have. And mm. you already saw what I shared, that our brain is a, is a, compu- is a quantum computer by itself. Mm-hmm. Because it converts the binary data into three-dimensional data. That's the only reason we we see what we see. You think that's the foundation for like telepathy on some level? Like, you know, when you get next to somebody and you can, I know what they're thinking, or you can kind of, sometimes it feels as if people are communicating to you in a way that is beyond measure. Like what's that's going cool. on? Yes. So now we're going into string theory. Okay. Is that Okay. I don't yeah. know about that. So, but let's, let's, well, let's, can we go into that? Yeah, sure. We can go there. I mean, as I said, we can go anywhere. So the whole thing about that is that it's, it's the fact is that every single thing in existence is vibrating to and fro in the form of string. String theory basically kind of says that everything has a motion and everything has a string and everything, uh, all these strings are vibrating at a different level in different dimensions. So, when you are, and that's why the whole timeline and uh, your focus plays a role. So like, if you think about it, like, you know, like when you ask me what is holographic universe, right? Now my mind is going to go into tap into whatever holographic universe is from my perspective. So what I'm doing is I'm putting my laser focus there on that word, but then it's collecting all the things that I have understood all my life that's available on the morphogenetic field and I'm able to match my frequency and vibration to the point where I can access that information and comprehend it and express it to you so you can understand it. Okay. 
that brings up questions about time, right? Like I, one of my favorite authors is Mercy Eliade, and he talks about like the sacred and the profane. And he talks about this one part that I really like that he speaks about is like sacred time. And sacred time is a time that both you and I and our mother and our father and our great grandmother and our kids can all be in at the same time. And it's like the time of ceremony or the time of a rite of passage. Even though we can't be there together, we kind of can because we can all imagine ourselves in this position. And I was just curious to get your thoughts on time and, and sacred time versus profane time about realizing the past, the present, and how maybe we are experiencing all of them simultaneously. What do you think? Okay, so if I tell you what I think of time, it's going to blow you away. Yes, please do. I love it. Okay, so time pretty much is a tool to trace each other into material existence. That's it. Okay. I have a I have a I have a vision of it. Okay. Okay, and then I'll give you something else that's going to okay. really mess you up. So I watched the movie Lucy. Uh, I, I like uh, watching sci-fi movie because there's always, uh, like if you want to watch the real news, watch sci-fi movie. That's my source of information. Anyway, so Lucy is a great movie, by the way. I loved it. But it was interesting. In that movie, there's a scene, right? Because Lucy is like 100% performing at her optimum yeah. um, brilliance. And she basically plays this video. Uh, she plays the video where, you know, like, they show like a car in the in the video and it just the car is being passed and then he says play the video and speed it up time infinite so she gives that instruction so the whole idea was if you're watching a movie where something is moving right mm -hmm. if you speed it up there is going to be a segment in that movie where the car is not there at all Right? right. And that's when she explains that time is basically the reason that you experience the matter, which pretty much means that we are all in a time capsule mm -hmm. from that perspective. So basically, we are just the figment of someone's imagination who's looking at the globe you know the globe the snow globe yeah. that people hold in yeah. their hands mm -hmm. and just think about a god who has a snow globe in their hand and they're looking at this earth and all of us in there and saying yeah this is a good entertainment for me <laughs> <laughs> i mean there's just so many things about yeah. it but what i'm what i'm trying to say is that we get so wrap around these uh, these concepts like time to the point where we lose ourselves. That's yeah. why I say that the only thing that is really real in this whole world is your feeling. How about the moment? Is that the only thing that's real as well? The feeling in the moment? Yeah, definitely. The feeling, of course, is just one word, right? You know, you know, the English is a one-dimensional language, right? So when we say <laughs> something, you just have to remember that it has the essence to carry all of these other strings that picks up like a chain because it's it's a multi-dimensional word. So yeah, 100%, everything that comes with that. But when you really start looking at the whole world from your gauge, which is your emotional feeling or your feeling and how you process information, then I think that we are no longer gonna be wasting our time with a lot of low-hanging fruits that are distract 
perspective. In this moment, are, is it only you and I that exist? I would say that as far as the real thing goes, yes. Because to me, the only thing real in the whole planet Earth is people. Everything else is a facade that we use or decide to show up to each other, right? And yeah. that's why I'm saying that why don't we, since we're going to be in a holodeck, creating a good facade, why don't we create a timeline? Why don't we start showing up in gatherings? It's going to be way more fun. I don't want to spend the rest of my life being on a Zoom doing podcasts. No. Yeah. I mean, it's good to do it because, you know, of course, I want like just like to establish a relationship, but then we need to all start meeting with each other. Yes. Because our crystalline self, when we meet together, we really open the door uh, for the piezoelectricity to create a whole new earth for ourselves and for others. Well, maybe you could talk about the crystalline self. Like, what is that? Because we are a vibrating crystal. So I actually explain that in my book a lot. And the whole thing is that we do have crystalline structure in our body. Our bones are crystalline. Mm -hmm. Our, um, you know, we have a crystal in our uh, pineal gland, right? We have a crystal in our teeth. We have crystal in all these different places. And the thing is that uh, actually it's funny because, you know, there is, um, there is, there is this thing that we are transforming from carbon to crystalline base, right? Uh, our DNA is evolving and it's doing it at a multidimensional layer level, right? So physically, we're gonna have to become lighter in terms of what we consume, right? However, spiritually, we are uh, opening the door for other strands of DNA to actually be formed. And then that drives us to ascend. And to me, ascension pretty much means evolution because we are continuously ascending to another level. We're continuously transforming to another level. And you get to decide whether you're going uh, up in the Jacob's ladder or down in the Jacob's ladder because you have all the choices. It seems like that process is happening faster and faster. Maybe that's just because of the people with whom I'm speaking or, but it doesn't, it seems like that process is happening in our world. Like we're in a time of rapid transition, it feels like to me. Does it feel that way to you? Yeah, it's because, you know, we're processing information faster. So if you yes. think about it, it's not the time that's moving faster. It's we are aware of what's happening to us is 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 the key thing. Because time is um, relative, yes. as Einstein already said that in his general theory of relativity. Mm -hmm. So time is relative. So we already know that. So I think then it becomes like, yeah, that's why to me, when we don't give importance to the very thing that human is all about, and we give importance to everything that is around human like it was all a tool to comprehend human consciousness and we have given importance to the tool than ourselves and that's why one of the person in our octopus movement says human centric right versus uh system centric and yes so that's the thing that we have been distracted and i think the more we become aware but the, but the thing is um the thing that really gets into a challenge for a lot of people and it was a challenge for me too is that when you become aware of all the distraction, by that time you've created so much mess that a lot of time when you really look around, it's, it's, it is like a sleeping beauty, right? So it's almost like you feel like, oh my God, like I'm trapped. What am I going to do? Like I recognize that, that this is not good. I'm in a trap. But I have been there in so many different conditions that I actually recognize the power which is there to kind of help you when needed. And you can call that God, you can call that right. white light, you can call that source, you can call that uh, primal creation. Uh, basically, what I call that is the consciousness 
that is um, that is a group consciousness because see, we all are one. And right now at this level where we are on 3D, yeah, we have to process ourselves separately because that's the only way we are going to, you know, we are in a test, right? So when you are being tested, you're not going to be told that, no, it's there's nothing to worry. It's all one. You're all one. So there's nothing to worry, right? Because we are being tested. So we have to feel separate because mm-hmm. consciousness has separated itself into the form of you and me so we can understand what God is. It speaks to this idea of, so when I take what you just said, coupled with the idea of the crystalline person, I've been speaking with a lot of people who have been using sound therapy, and it seems to me this concept of a crystalline person, it really helps to explain harmony and resonance and how this can go a long way in communication and healing. Yeah, because sound was the first thing that happened before even the light happened, because sound, right? And um, because sound is a representation of the vibration, right? Which is how we actually hear things. Mm. So sound is a primal way because, you know, word can get lost sometime in translation, yeah. but sound doesn't. Yep. So if you think about it, sound is more of a raw information there. And if your heart, like when you hear a sound and you're, you, you feel very much one with that, then that is more genuine because there's no, there's nothing that can take you away from what you feel. You see my point? Yeah. Because there are times we get lost because we have so many things where we can get lost in. So it's almost like it's a good tether to kind of connect your soul to. And that way you can bypass some of the brainwashing. Mm. Do you, is that kind of what the test is, is to like you come in here and you're given this sort of brainwashing or this conditioning is the test to break the conditioning you think? Oh, hundred percent. Because you know, <laughs> you think about it. Yeah. Because I mean, you know, it's almost like the fruit, the fruit is yeah. there, right. But you have to go through it because you know, it's like, yeah, because, you know, you are in a cage and you're given all the stuff. And then it's like every time when you do something, they give you something and then they yeah. say, okay, good. But then some other problem comes. But because it is like I always uh, tell my boys, you know, because I talk about these things to mm-hmm. my boys when we go hiking. And I use the word, um, you know, the game where there's frogs popping out and then you keep on hiking. Uh, whack-a-mole. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what we're here to do. We're playing that game here all the time. <laughs> And the more you get good at, which I have gotten pretty good at, as you can mm-hmm. see, my problems gets bigger too sometimes. But then the good thing is that that's why I'm saying that it's time that people who are recognizing all of this and we, we kind of yeah. have accepted the fact that, okay, we are here. We understand that this is the game. Let's work together so we can have so much fun in this game yeah. while we're still in this consciousness. Yeah, I love it. As a rocket scientist and and quantum being, how do you navigate the convergence of science fiction and reality in your role as an aerospace engineer? Yeah, it's actually fun because the good thing is that I understand how to hop timelines, right? So I have this one room where I'm doing this, you know, this exchange with you. I have another room where I do my NASA work. So I always keep the distance. And it's funny because my right room, which is my right hemisphere, is where I do these nonlinear conversations. My left room is where I do my NASA work because I have (laughs) a little bit more linear there. But I think that when you do time dilation, right, these are all the things I want to teach, by the way, because I do it in my daily life. You become really good in deciding where to go, when to show up, what to do, how to do it. 
Because at the end of the day, everybody is in their own consciousness doing their own hunger game dance. Everybody is. And there's a give and take going on. There's this input coming, output going. So when you start looking at it as a dance and what you do and what you show up, you have to, you know, the, the thing that I take responsibility for is I have to show up with my integrity, with my principle. Because every night when I sleep, I want to make sure that if I die, then I have done it all. So that to me is my principle. My core principle runs the show. And then I'm very selective about experiences that I'm choosing, why I'm choosing it, and what am I choosing it for? So I'm actually grateful that I actually became an engineer because it really gave a huge enhancement to my analytical brain. And because of that, I'm having this type of conversation with you. It's because of all the learning that I did and all the things I went through, I was able to see this dance between the two because it's almost like darkness and light has to be together. Similarly, that's why to me, the nonlinear is not going to exist without the linear and vice versa. So because we process information through contrast, that's just the way we are. So when you understand the dichotomy of a human uh, quantum computing existence, then you know that you can use everything that you have up to your fingertips in a way that you can make the most exciting life. And I really feel like right now I've come close to creating this exciting life. Now I wanna take it to another level, which is where I'm gonna need other people because I've been doing this, uh, this life by myself alone mostly for a very long time. And now I'm looking to open the door for the right people to join me in this, where we can create like a band group and we can go world to world and teach people how to live in harmony. That's what I want to do. I love it. I think that, and I think the book is the, would you say that the book is an invitation for that? Oh, hundred <laughs> percent. Cause I always say that my book is an extension of my business card. <laughs> right. And then I'm actually really working hard to create a work instruction because I have been asked by various people that if you can create a workbook of that book, mm. it would make it easy for people to ingest the information and make it part of their daily living. So that's my next goal. And, and, and then I want to basically spread that knowledge all over the world uh, through everybody who agrees with this so that we, so I can do my part because I know everybody is doing their part, but this is my calling and my passion. And I find it very exciting uh, to be given that as a gift. And, and then I want to give this gift to others because I think it will make it so much more fun when you get up in, in the morning and no matter how many things you have to do in your day, you actually say to yourself that, you know what? I'm going to do all these things because I'm excited to do it. And you create a life in a way that everything you do is exciting because that's what Bashar says, right? That follow your excitement. And I think what happens is a lot of time people have created so many things in their life just to do food, clothing, and shelter game mm -hmm. that they have forgotten what excitement is. And then they're so far away from it and they think they can't have it. And I'm saying you can have your cake and you can eat it too. <laughs> I love that message. I, it's true. It's sometimes we've gotten so far away from the important things in life. and Maybe, maybe that's what the the UFO is on sometimes I think that like people see the UFO or they see these projections of things, but they're really just seeing a part of themselves. They haven't seen for so long. Like it seems alien to them. 
Like the concept of alien, maybe that's us encountering ourselves for the first time, right? Like, wow, this is us. What are your well, majority, majority of the time, actually, the majority of the time, because I have been in touch with people who directly communicate with UFO, by the way, and majority of the time, what I've heard is that these people are our future selves. But wow. they are one of the one that I heard, uh, you know, I'm in connection with the, it's in Brazil. And they basically claim that the people that they're communicating with, they are 50,000 uh, years away from us. And again, the time, of course, we have to use time in this linear right. world. But the whole point is that they have already been there, done that. They've seen already. They, they have so much technology that they can actually do come in our consciousness and give us some, you know, things to kind of help us move along because they kind of do feel sorry for us because because it's the same we are we are them and they are us so there is that um yeah so i i mean yeah to me that makes a lot of sense and actually i always wonder with all the intelligence i've gathered that where is my future self and why is she not showing up in her way that i can say what have you invented so far and maybe i'm not supposed to know because the movie terminator remember because right no then there will be something else trying to kill you so maybe it's good to not know <laughs> <laughs> it's true it's true what right. what else can you tell like the the concept of meeting ourselves in the future or ufos or inter interstellar planetary you know transportation like as a rocket scientist what what else can you spill the beans on or what else maybe some interesting insights that you have that other people may not have about interstellar time or aliens or ufos or technology can you go down the road on some of those and, and explore some stuff with us? Yeah, so one, one thing is that, like, you know, a lot of people are always wondering, uh, like, especially they wonder about the whole thing about why are we going to the moon now? You know, did we really go to the moon before? And all of that questions, right? And I always say that it's interesting because, you know, like, first, first of all, we all have to start taking responsibility for the fact that we are all one, right? So that just mm -hmm. helps. I feel like right now what I'm working on, Artemis program, it's all about living on a moon, dark side of the moon for one week in the next two years, and then keep extending the state so we can ultimately go to Mars and then we colonize Mars. And it's all in the next 10 years. So it's a pretty big plan to live on a moon and live on a Mars in the next 10 years. So if you think about it, 10 years from now, I mean, you know, that sounds really incredibly close. I mean, just think about that. If we start even living on the moon, just imagine that when you and, I, you and I meet, we affect our timeline. When we start living on the moon, we're going to affect Earth in ways that we have not even imagined. So what I'm saying is that we need to really get, get home with this concept of who we truly are and how high potential we are in terms of our existence. And there's no limit to our consciousness to experience all these different things, going to the moon, going to the Mars, because we have already done that in other um, dimensions. Mm -hmm. Now we are proving ourselves in this physical dimension because see, physical dimension is where the hunger game happens, okay? Because this is where we feel pain. Because in all other dimension, you don't feel pain. You don't, time doesn't matter because you are just, you know, you're, everything is at the speed of light. Everything is quantum, actually. It's more... Uh, instantaneous. It's actually even um, faster than the speed of light. So in physical dimension is where everything is dense, everything is slow, everything feels, everything hurts. But this is where you get excited too. So that is why we have created this dichotomy 
between us and them, us and the cosmos. And when you start recognizing the fact that all of us have this inner craft within us, which is kind of dying to go home, and dying to go home doesn't mean that, that you have to disappear from Earth. Dying to go home means be one with all of your existence, your human physical existence and your cosmic astral existence that's already like like you're, you're part of your soul that's saying, thanks God, finally you're home. Mm -hmm. That is the union and the marriage that we need to start embodying. And then we are no longer going to give so much importance to an organization like NASA or all the three-letter organization, because we kind of created it with our consciousness, with our group consciousness, partly because of all the fear we have been carrying with us uh, for, for thousands of years because of all the atrocity that happened to human yeah. soul and human uh, as a species. And, and they are all real. But at the end of the day, what I'm saying is that the reason we have been confined and tortured and traumatized and all of that is partly because we have so power, we have this power within us that everybody wants it. And the interesting thing about all the other species is, and I've had, I've had experiences where people have come to me, like even when I was working on missile defense, people would come to me because I carry that, I embody the energy of openness, I embody the energy of that, you know, I can, I'm not gonna judge you. And you won't believe it, every time when we launch a missile, something would happen where it is obvious that there is other being who are helping to either launch it or not launch it. So it's almost like launch is a very big thing that we do. Whenever we launch a rocket, you are truly making a statement to the whole cosmos because it's no longer just Earth, right? When you're launching a rocket, you're affecting the cosmos. And that's why everybody who is in this party or who is very much tuned into everything happening to Earth including our future self, to try their best to make sure that they direct it in a way so it aligns with, the, with, with whatever timeline they're trying to create. And when we get into the timeline, the looking glass technology has already been there. And that technology is, is used and availed to project what type of future needs to be created so, you know, everybody can exist. And, and sometimes it gets directed based on whoever is running the show, like, you know, in terms of what the goal is and who needs to win and so forth. But what I'm saying is like, when we understand the power we have, we understand how Im um, mortal we are, because technically, you know, our consciousness will always be there, whether we are in this form or another form, then nobody can really hold you enslaved. And that requires you to really recognize the power that you have beyond the physical dimension. It seems so intoxicating, the power. Maybe it, it's almost like the the um, the ring of Mordor, like Tolkien's ring. Like everybody wants the power so bad, and it stops us from becoming one. You know, I, do you ever do you ever when you're looking into the future, like as a rocket scientist, when you're looking into space, do you ever find yourself looking back at mythology and being like, mm, "That's what they meant about that." Oh, I understand why the power is so important because, especially the more you understand the power of human being, it becomes very exciting right. when you have like a whole bunch of people that is like you can control like a puppet 
and they're willing to do anything for you. I mean, if you think about it, that's like, holy shit, like I don't have to do it. I'm going to make them do it. Yeah. And, and they already have a recipe, right? Like up to the dot where they know exactly how you can right. start, how you can end, where you can pull the thread and you have gotten it really well. So I can see because it has its own excitement. It's almost like, you know, you create a dollhouse and then you have all these dolls and stuff. And then you're like deciding, you know, like whatever you want to do with these. There is definitely a little bit of a excitement there, which is why they do that. But the thing is that it's more exciting when people are with you because they love you rather than mm. they fear you. Right. And that to me is my strategy. I want mm. only people, like I want to be a magnet to people who are going to love me, to walk with me, because that to me is way more intoxicating than having to control people like Hitler did. That's yeah. just the way I think of it. Because to me, that because I understand the power of love, is so much more beautiful. It's it, it just, and that is the thing that ultimately everybody has to get a taste of that, that type of leadership and that type of community where it's all based on love because love we have within us, the power we seek is the power within. That's what I always say. So when you bring it all home to yourself and when you exude that power, then all the people who truly know what, what that type of power feels which you hone within yourself, then they would want to walk with you. And then when you still walk together, then you become even more powerful than all the other people that are being controlled like a puppet. When I look back at that, when I look back at history and you, sometimes you see the unveiling and the puppet masters are shown like the French revolution. And, you know, it's understandable. Like when people uncover the people pulling the strings, they get really mad. Like even me sometimes, like you start thinking about the people that have been in positions of authority for so long and they have been pulling the strings. I don't think the puppet likes to know that his strings are being pulled. How, how do we stop the people from just wanting to murder all the people on the top? You know what I mean? Like it's because, that, because that, just think about what, okay, so I always say that whatever you do, journey is intertwined with the destiny. So every mm -hmm. action that you are taking to get somewhere is also who you need to keep on asking yourself, who am I becoming in the process? Right. So if you're going to do something where you're going to beat the hell out of somebody and then you can feel good, ultimately, I don't know, I cannot feel good because I'm going to be, right. I want people to even sleep at night because now I'm worried about murdering somebody because even though that person was bad, it's just going to affect my consciousness. So I truly don't want to get my hands dirty like that, right? My whole right. thing is because I know ultimately that all the things it's a duality, right? We live in a world where we have this dichotomy. So the thing that you see as negative is part of you that you haven't processed it properly. So when you start looking at everything as a mirror, then what you do is you don't dial into all the channels where you are going to get more angry about all the control that's happening in the world. You dial into a channel where you can do something about it. in the most graceful way, with integrity, with honesty, without compromising your core principle and able to sleep at night. So you have to make sure you account for all that because you know you are a cohesive quantum being. You, are, you, you have to make sure that you take all of you wherever you go, all aspect of you. And you have to be able to live with all aspect of you. So when you start operating from that richer principle, then ultimately the dance becomes automatic and then you actually start feeling good because you're going to find the home. You're going to find the home with people. What about for people like 
like when we take like the middle, like sometimes when we look at what happened with Israel and Hamas, like you see two people with just these incredible histories of family members being killed and there's so much animosity there. Is there ever a way for people to, is that is just a part of the human condition or is there a way for these people to realize that the only way out is to see yourself in the other or, you know what I mean? It just seems when we look at it sometimes through this lens of chaos or this, this lens of shared tragedy, this lens of, Oh my gosh, my family member, my family member, you know, it, it seems to me that sometimes those wounds are so deep. And when it happens to you on a personal level, how does an outsider help influence that situation? That is, that is the thing, right? That you have to kind of know that where can you really make an impact yes. that's going to ultimately open the door for them. Because, you know, uh, like you, I'm a star trackie, right? So you don't go against the prime directive. <laughs> I truly don't. Because I, I'll tell you from my perspective, okay? So I have a family, you know, Muslim, right? I'm a born, raised Muslim. My mom basically says that when she watches a video of Palestinian, she can't even watch the video because it's so tragic. My mom said that I cry so much when I watch like few minutes. It really hurts, you know, her. My brother always, every time when I talk to them, they're very sad about what's happening in Palestine. Most of my friends here in America, they all watch what's happening in Israel because they're favoring Israel. So they're very sad what's happening with Israel. So I get both sides of the story. And I always say to people, because people who are always watching TV and getting sad about all of these things happening, I say that, okay, if you're really, really sad about it, either get together with all the people who are also sad and then you can create, you know, like some sort of meditation or prayer right. or broadcast the love message or do something about it. Right. But don't just be sad about it because then what you're doing is you're taking it all in. You are not channeling it properly and then you're messing up your own life so that you're not even helping them, but you're not helping yourself either. I mean, right. that's like a lose-lose situation. Yeah. Right. So my whole strategy is that either you become part of the solution, definitely don't become part of the problem. And what I'm noticing, a lot of people are becoming part of the problem and that yeah. to me, uh, or just turn yourself off. And yeah, that's what I do. Because, you know, for me, I wouldn't be able to uh, write all these books and do all these things if I'm dialing the channel that's just going to make me feel completely disintegrated. Because, you know, I'm not helping anyone. And you know what? Supply yeah. versus demand. Okay, the more okay. the human beings are going to watch these type of shows, that's happening, what happened with Ukraine, right. what happened with, and I know it sounds like, wow, I mean, she's saying it's a show. It's a show created to kind of take your power away, to kind of make you feel miserable and helpless, to kind of make you feel like you don't have a lot to live for. So technically, the more you're going to watch that type of stuff, the more you're going to tell them that, yes, keep bringing me this type of television show because I am okay with that. Because it's a supply versus demand. And that's what I'm saying, that we need to break the pattern. Like whenever, you know, whenever I go from my work to, uh, I mean, home to work, I see all this fast food and I don't ever eat fast food, but there are lots of people around here eating it. And I was thinking that if I want all of this fast food to disappear and be replaced by healthy food, like really like you, when you go to the bar, you get this like nice kombucha or something really like a shot with ginger and <laughs> uh, cinnamon, right? Yeah. If I want to create that reality then first you have to stop feeding the very people who are not giving you help. But that requires, and that's why I'm talking to you, by the way, because I can, I have been living alone pretty good, but now I re recognize that in order to really have a great infrastructure, I want to 
affected on a global way, right? right? So what I'm saying is every one of us has to do their part. So if you don't want something, don't feed into it. Don't go to the fast food if you don't want it to stay. Don't watch the channel. That just makes you feel miserable. If you want to do anything about anyone, keeps broadcasting the love signal. But always do something that empowers you. Don't, because you know, you get to decide which channel to dial in. I mean, you are a hologram. It reminds me of in the earlier part of the conversation, you had mentioned that some that your mother would say, Hey, why don't you look at this thing over here to make you sad so that you'll cry over there? It sounds to me like that's what these channels are. Hey, everybody, why don't you go look at these things that make you sad for a while? Think about how bad your life is. You know, like they, why don't you just why don't you just turn on the volume on your vibration so we don't have to deal with you? <laughs> exactly. That's what they're that's, doing, right? That's, what, that's totally what it is. That's exactly what I say. I always say that the Quantum Being book offers you a new package for direct tv no i'm just kidding yeah. but the point is <laughs> offers you new channels to dial in yeah and that's what i say because you know and and that's what that's exactly what i'm doing is showing people that there are many channels you can dial in and i actually have a, a yesterday because i'm continuously coming up with creative ideas i have created a very good strategy that i'm going to teach in my workshop on how you can open the door for new channels to dial in how are you going to do that can you share a little bit with us here yeah, it's like basically, I mean, like Bashar says, follow your excitement, but you go a little bit further. Like you go into the steps where you actually ask yourself a question. All the people, all the people you want to be with, let's say, let's say there are people that you like to spend part of your life with, right? Like, like in my case, I have my boys, right? Yeah. So they are important to me. So people that are really important to you and you want to spend time with them, you basically make the list of all the people. And then you make a list of all the things you like to do with them that really excites you, like at the core level and find out what those things are. And then what you do is you do that because, and then, and there are people in your life that you don't find anything exciting to do with. That's a pretty telltale sign, <laughs> telltale sign to do something about it. Either change it, doesn't have to yeah. get rid of the people. But if you can't, then that's, that's what I'm saying that at the end of the day, if you're not gonna be excited about living on this planet earth, then you're gonna make everybody else miserable too. <laughs> That's such great advice. That's such great advice. I have a, are you okay on time? I have another question or two, if you're okay. Sure. sure. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> In the realm of mental transformation, you mentioned remapping genetic encoding to activate and awaken DNA and RNA. Can you share more about the practical steps involved in achieving this transformation? Yeah. So basically what, what, what you are, because you know, you are, you are a programmable machine, right. um, you're impressionable machine, pretty obvious, right? <laughs> Your DNA can store memory. It can actually store the um, data of the entire universe in terabyte. It's been already proven that they've already performed the experiment on one gram of DNA. So knowing that these are the facts. Knowing that you are so incredible quantum walking quantum computer and you're a hologram and you're everything that you're seeking outside of you. That's why I always say that I work on a rocket, but we are way more magnificent than any rocket I worked on. The point of the story is that you're telling yourself every nanosecond by making a binary choice on what you say yes and what you say no to that who you are and what you want to be. Because of this power that you already have within you, you really have to be careful on what you say yes and what you say no to. And when you start doing that, I would say everybody who's listening here right now, starting tomorrow, 
start with one hour, just for that one hour, give yourself a one hour in a day where you're going to be extremely conscious because, you know, what you're doing is you're programming yourself at the subconscious level, who you are going to be and whom you want to be. So that is why you are programming your DNA with every action you take, including not just, so let's, let's talk about spiritually, spiritually, yeah. if you're looking at yourself as an observer and seeing how you are, uh, you know, in parked in a space and time on planet earth surrounded by a whole bunch of other planets and so forth so but but when you look at it from an observer standpoint you recognize that how you versus everything else is kind of a figment of your imagination right so when you look look at it from that standpoint then you're no longer going to be worried about what's people going to say how are the people going to react because all of that it's completely meaningless because at the end of the day, the only thing that you're going to have to take control over is your emotion, your feelings, right? So spiritually, when you connect that with emotional and then mentally, you recognize that how every time when you think about anything, it's like a remote control. Like you are basically picking up a lifetime channel from a lifetime television as soon as you think about anything. Like, you know, you ask me a question, I put myself onto that channel and I give you the information based on that. That's how powerful you are. But at the end of the day, because you are that powerful, you have to be very much aware of that thought process, aware of what you're doing to yourself while you're living a life, right? And that is how, you know, and when you come to the physical, my God, it becomes so important for you what you're consuming, not just in terms of, physical food and nourishment, but also emotionally what you're consuming and how it's affecting your body. So that's why, like what I'm saying is that if everybody starts really being conscious about all of their physical, emotional, mental, spiritual self, what's going to happen is it's going to really make them realize that how much they have been distracted. Because all the distractions that we have in our world, you can't do nothing about them if you can't honor something that's within you. Because you were only responsible for yourself. You were not, you didn't come here to worry about the whole world. You, were, you came here to worry about yourself. But the thing is that you, the kingdom of the spirit is embodied in your flesh. So you are the universe. And when you take that power within you, What's going to happen is you're going to see the entire universe is going to unfurl like a lotus flower mm. and it will show the beauty that you ex uh, explain about the wine, right? And you are going to be able to see that how beautiful it is, but it starts from you. I Do you have any brothers or sisters? Yes. <laughs> are, are you the oldest? Are you the youngest? I'm the oldest. You're the oldest. Do your, does your family ever come and visit you? Like, I don't, I don't mean to step out of bounds, and I apologize if I am. I'm just curious, like, what is your relationship with them like? Do they come and see you now? Are they doing well? Or what's your relationship with them? So like? we do have a, quite a dichotomy, right? Because I left the entire culture and everything 30 years ago, which is a pretty long time. Mm -hmm. And when I talk to them about, like, the concepts, like, I'm talking to yeah. you, the, the fact that, like, my sister-in-law did read my book because she, she understands English, I felt very good about it. And she did say the book is amazing, but she didn't ask me a single question. So that makes me wonder that, like, I would love to see that if um, someone can get the message, right? Because right now their life is like so 
in trenches that they have a hard time uh, understanding the quantum dance that I'm talking sure. about, right? Sure. And 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 it's it's kind of one of those things like you mentioned earlier, where people who have decided that they are not going to come out of trenches, because you know, at the end of the day, it's a group it's a group consciousness thing going on. Yeah. My relation with them, uh, in spite of the fact that I don't live like them, I don't think like them, I don't pray like them, I pretty much have a very unique life. My family really is proud of me. I I guarantee it. I think a lot of people are. I think, I think yeah, yeah, it's an amazing story. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that, and I think that that to me is pretty amazing that my family has stand by me and they still invite me to their house and they would love for me to come and visit them. And I uh, have to, so I have kept a connection with them and I'm always, whenever I talk to them, I give them an advice that can help them to have a better future because I care for them. Yeah. It's, it's interesting the way in which our relationship with our family changes over our life, you know, and in some ways, when I look back at my, my dad or my grandpa, I see like different versions of myself. And when I'm, when I allow myself to look from that perspective, I'm like, Hey, this is the older version of me over here. My dad gets all crazy. I'm not the older version of you, you know, but like, I think it's interesting to start looking at time and the people in our lives, like different versions of us. It's been very helpful to me to help, you know, get through different sort of generational trauma or understand why I do things on that angle. I'm wondering, do you look at it like that too sometimes? Oh, 100%, because think about it. And that's a classic example of how we tap into a morphogenetic field. So mm. like, you know, when people say that when I'm with my mom, I turn into a child, like I turn into yes. my five-year-old yes. self, it's truly because you are tapping into that consciousness. Because, you know, that's what I'm saying, we're a hologram, right? So we change yeah. ourselves based on the people that shows up. That's why when we say you bring the good out in me or you bring the bad out in me, it's truly the fact. Because, you know, yeah. you have all these different channels to dial, but if some people, whatever you're, uh, relationship was you kind of continue that thread that's why when you meet someone and you know like uh, if you like them and you know you meet them after one year you'll know exactly where you left your conversation with yeah. because you have that in the morphogenetic field it's kind of like you pick up where you left off because we are that quantum computer that's what i'm trying to tell you that that's <laughs> a fact and when people can see and it's good that you use the word different <laughs> versions because yes we have infinite versions of ourselves and what I'm saying is that when you get to decide mm. what excites you and where do you want to show up with excitement and which people brings that best out in you where it's so much fun that you want to be with them, <laughs> then that is what if everybody starts doing, there won't be anybody having an affair. There won't be anybody in a wrong relationship <laughs> because just imagine you do exactly what you really, really want to do. And the more honest you are with yourself, the more honest you are with others. And it multiplies like a hundred monkey effect in the whole world. The whole earth is going to be so incredibly light and full of light and see light has two words right light uh when you think of it as like mm -hmm. a light but it's the same it's the <laughs> yeah, same it is. <laughs> i love it i love the idea of different dimensions and i'll never forget this one time in my life where i was i was a ups driver for like 26 years and I, this one time i was at work and the like uh so some cops had come to my door and i was at home and my mom and my wife were here and they were banging on the door and they i was and they obviously scared my my mom and my wife and so my wife calls me like george um did, is there something you want to tell me 
<laughs> I'm like, what? What do you mean? Uh, I don't think so. I love you. And she's like, well, there's a bunch of cops at the door. They, they just left. They wanted to come in here. They said they had to talk to you, that you're in trouble. And I'm like, I have no idea what they're talking about. And as we're talking on the phone about this, like all of a sudden my call waiting starts blowing up. And I'm like, oh, I think it's them. They're calling me right now. I'm like, all right, I'll call you right back. So I tell my wife, I hang up with her and I answer the phone and they're like, Mr. Monty, this is agent Bob Ross. We need to talk to you immediately. And I'm like, I'm trying to like rack my brain thinking like, what did I, did I do anything? I didn't do anything wrong. I, I have nothing to be afraid of. And the guy's like, yeah, I got, I got to talk to you now. How about I come to your work? And I'm like, that's a horrible idea. You should never come to my work. But why don't you meet me out on the road over here? So he meets me on the road and I'm racking my brain trying to figure out like if I did anything and, and I can't think of anything. So him and his partner show up and they show me these files. And I'm like, you know, we would like you to look at these pictures and see if you know anybody here. So I'm looking through these files and I don't recognize a single picture. And as, as I'm looking at the files, I re, I'm very cognizant of the people looking at me while I'm looking at these files, you know, and I'm like, oh, these guys are just checking me out. I look at these files. My whole mind's getting blown. And I hand the, I hand the files back to him. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know any of these people. And I'm not sure why you, you guys have me here or what you want to talk about. But what, what do you got on me? I mean, what, why are we here? Mm -hmm. And they're like, well, why don't you tell me how this guy in the picture has your license? And I'm like, oh, I got pickpocketed at the mall like three months ago. And I just saw all the air kind of come out of them. And they're like, oh, okay, fine. And they go away. So that's the first part of it. The second, start, the second part of the story is I came home. I talked to my wife. And she's like, what was it? I'm like, it was a misunderstanding. But I'll never forget that night. I had the craziest experience because I let myself think about what if I was that guy? What if I was this mastermind criminal they were thinking of? First off, I don't know who they thought I was. But you know what? If I had the FBI coming and looking for me, I would probably be this mastermind criminal who is going between different countries and committing these crimes that were not crimes of destruction, but crimes of passion. I was doing these things that were helping the world be better. And so I just allowed myself to run with this new persona. And I, I did it for like an hour and a half. And I kind of became that other person. Like I became this international man of mystery. And I thought, why not? I could be that guy the same way as I'm this guy now. And like, that was a transformative experience for me. And I felt like I was crossing dimensions. And from that point forward, I've been able to cross over and see myself in the perspective, not only of other people, but have a quiet time for an hour where you can actually go down the road and be another person. And it's, it's a very transformative thing to cross those dimensions. And sometimes I think back, maybe I did cross this dimension and I became George the podcaster now instead of George the truck driver. Or, And I'm wondering, do you ever look at your life like maybe there's still a Shanaz that never left Karachi? Like maybe oh. there's different dimensions like that. Oh, 100% because there are there are many yous, right? And there are many yes. That, that is very true that there is a Shanaz that actually followed the script that was written to right. her. And she is probably, um, you know, living that life. And I don't know how she's doing because the Shanaz that I know, she's not going to be happy in that type of life because right. I was never somebody who, who could be confined. So I probably have created something there regardless. Even if I wouldn't be a rocket scientist, I probably am a rock star in Karachi and I have yeah. this woman gathering going on and I'm probably <laughs> making a difference in my own way. So at the end of the day, you know, wherever, wherever you are, you know, what, what they say, uh, what, is the, what is that uh, slogan? Wherever you go, there you are, where right. You, yep. right? Because your light is with you. But it's interesting what you were sharing earlier because, you know, I say that we process our subconscious through other people. Okay. Okay. So when people come in your life, especially somebody like that, where you actually almost personify that person means that it was a huge uh, statement to you to see yourself through them. Mm. 
So that's just the way we process because, you know, we process right. information through people, through places, through experiences, because everything is a consciousness. Everything is your consciousness coming back to you. So that's why, that's why it becomes important when you start seeing the world from that standpoint, it will be easier to love other people when you start seeing even people who are ugly to you because they are a part of your consciousness that wants to sh- teach you something that wants to show you something that you haven't done. It's almost like there is a lot of role playing going on because, because you are supposed to experience all those triggers so you can comprehend yourself. It's amazing to think about that perspective. Like everybody you see is a different version of you acting out their own role. Like it's, it's pretty beautiful to think about that. And in some ways you get to experience everything. Oh, that's exactly what it is. But if you think about it, that's how I actually live. And because of that, and even though I'm still a human being, I'm not like, you know, complete AI or something, right? I'm I'm, I'm still an organic consciousness. And I still feel when something happens, it hurts yeah. like hell, right? So I feel yes. all of that. But the good thing is that then I come home. Like I always, you know, go through that. And then I come home and I say, okay, what is the reason? Like even when I had shingle in the year 2019, where my ear completely turned into black, it was horrible experience. I was rejected by three different uh, emergency places, the two places. And then the third one, when I walked in with a friend, I basically just did this to them. I I basically, I I showed them my right ear because it was Mm -hmm. completely black, right? And as soon as they saw it, they're like, oh my God, we need to get you in right away. And they got me in and they did the CT scan. And then they realized that they wouldn't have gotten me in. I would have died because it, I would have, uh, because my infection was about to go into my brain. Wow. So, but the but the whole reason I'm sharing that story, what was the reason? Tell me, please remind me. The reason was because we get to experience stuff, but we get to come home. Exactly. So when that happened and I couldn't walk, I couldn't drive. I was uh, pretty much uh, bedridden for two months. I couldn't go to work. It was like one of the most challenging things for me to go through in 2019. And the thing was that after I went through six months of ordeal and everything, and I was sitting in my living room and trying to understand that why did I create that? For me? It was very painful. It was right. horrible. I prayed many times that just kill me and get over and done. <laughs> because it was too much painful, damn it. And I am not interested in living with the chronic pain. Plus, I don't want to have a, a prescription pill that I want to take on right. for the rest of my life. So I had all these things. So I'm like talking to my consciousness. I'm like, what the hell, man? This is just too much. And then it dawned on me exactly why I created that for myself. Like it was almost like a light bulb moment. And when I realized it and recognized it, it was almost like an instantaneous healing occurred. And I was able to get myself off all the medication. I was able to, I mean, you know, I had to train my brain to compensate for the missing uh, information coming from my right side of Mm -hmm. inner eardrum because of the damage. But I trained myself and I, I did everything. And, and the interesting thing is that I actually became more powerful than I was before. Do you feel like part of you died and then like a new part was born and that was more powerful part? Yes, 100%. 100% because what I experienced in the hospital, because you know, not only that I was hospitalized, I was treated like a contagion. So they completely mm. kept me away from other people nobody can come and see me unless they would wear a mask and gloves because they didn't know what I was dealing with so they were treating me like that and I'm completely alone and there were times when you're in a hospital and I'm very sensitive to energies Mm -hmm. it was very scary being alone in the hospital and at night there were times I was so scared because I would see the dark 
uh, entities coming towards me and I would get into the comforter and I would be like, please protect me. I would say all the Arabic prayers I've ever known. And then I would use all my spiritual gifts that I've ever understood to create a big giant protection around me. And then I had a one friend who's like my mom, a spiritual mom. Um, and she basically told me I can call her whenever I feel extremely scared. So I would call her and then she would pray with me. So the point is that I went through an experience that was very scary. But then I found myself. <laughs> you know, you, you spoke of your spiritual mom. How Have there been mentors in your life? Like, is that like a practice that you have? And what do you think about having mentors or providing, bring a mentor for somebody? You know, I used to always wish that I can have a mentor. But for me, I think that I have learned that I, maybe this is what I came uh, on earth with, is that every time, like I have not ran into anybody who, were, who was able to help me get out of my current situation. Because the fact that when I'm when I'm talking to someone in the current reality, the only reason they're showing up there is because of my frequency and vibration, right? And mm -hmm. if I'm asking for something that is something that I haven't experienced yet, but I want to, they don't really have a clue. So I had to do that for myself. But I did like people like Gandhi, for example, because I felt that I can see myself in him because he was the right person at the wrong time in so many ways, mm -hmm. right? I mean, he was a brilliant man with a brilliant message, but he wasn't really appreciated at the time. I'm, I'm hoping I'm not Gandhi because I want people to really accept me right now so I can enjoy it. I don't want to die and then people can say, oh, she was a good girl, you know? I like people to say while I'm still alive. So that's the one thing I would like to change, but I like people like Gandhi. I like people who are willing to stand up for the truth, even though yeah. they look very different than other people. I think you embody his message of be the change that you want to see in the world. Like, I think you're doing that phenomenally. And, <laughs> like, it's really awesome. And Shinaz, this conversation out of the park, like I, I really, really enjoy it. And I'm really thankful to get to meet you and, and talk about the book. And I'm hoping that this is the first of multiple conversations because <laughs> I think that even though we've covered so much, I think that there's still so much there. And But before I let you go, can you hold up the book again? And would you please be so kind as to tell people where they can find you and where they can get the book and what you have coming up and what you're excited about? Yeah, so basically if you type my name, by the way, the, uh, I show up pretty much everywhere. I'm on, so basically my website is shanasoni.com. So it's easy, my name is right there. And um, LinkedIn, um, Instagram, and Facebook is where I kind of uh, am active. My new goal is to pretty much be part of the new community that I'm attracting with my magnetism. And then we can all create something that's going to help everybody else. Uh, my goal for the next year is to put the quantum being principle that I already captured in a book in the back of the exercise and even magnify it and make it even more easy for people to do it on a daily life. So I'm working on my workbook. And I'm working with people who are going to join me in my endeavor. Anya is one of them. You know, maybe Jeffrey, you're going to be another one. Uh, Perry's on board. And we're going to all come together and create something that's going to open the door for people to raise their consciousness in a, in a more practical way. And I'm really looking forward for opportunities to share everything that I shared with you in more organic way. So that, that is one of my goals is that I would like to be part of the retreat in a sacred place. That's one of my dream. And, and we share all the goodness. And then we also practically do some of the exercises so we can 
activate our crystalline piezoelectricity while we're together. And also we open a whole new portal on earth. That's my goal. I love it. Can't wait to be part of it. I can't wait to share the experience. It's going to be amazing. And I'm excited yeah. for the future. Yes. And the thing is, the time does not exist. So basically, it has already happened. We just have to merge our consciousness with it so we can really say, Hanaluya. Basically, we are continuously proving ourselves that we are more amazing than we thought yesterday we were. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love it. Well, hang on briefly. I'm going to speak to you shortly afterwards. But sure. to everybody that's watching and listening today, please go down, check out the book. Be prepared for the for the work that's going to come after. Do yourself a favor and reach out to Shanaz. Go to her website. Check her out on LinkedIn. The links will be down below. Um, thanks for all your work. And anybody who's interested, reach out. She's an amazing person and she's got a lot to share. And I think that we're looking forward to all of us living in a better world if we can become our most authentic selves. That's all we got for today, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you have a beautiful day. Aloha. <laughs> Thank you. Aloha, everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge, and I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now, and it's been so rewarding to me that I just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision and I hope you all conquer it and I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better, your life will be better and you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.